Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Adult Music. Your co-host Russ on this side and over there is Mike. How you doing, Hi, Mike? it's me. Mike the classical guy. Mike the classical guy. Yeah. And I guess that makes me uh, the jazz guy. Yeah, I guess. But we listen to everything, really. Yeah. Uh, I'm, keep, I'm makes... keeping up on all the like rock music that's come out this year, although there seems to be less and less of that. Yeah, there's not a lot of and, rock going on. As as popular music is kind of in forms that uh, I don't know how to classify it. I don't know. If I were in college today, well, I guess I'd be listening to it, but uh, I don't know. When I was in college, music really informed us a lot. Yeah. And it, and it involved guitars, I guess. A different <laughs> age. A different age. Different age. I don't know. That's right. Well, we're here with this podcast. Well, it'll be 60 next week. Wow. The episodes are zooming by, oh, wow. uh, bringing you music for the mature mind. Uh, that's mainly classical and jazz music. Yeah, it's really been all classical and jazz, isn't it? I mean, we intend to do more. The idea is that the podcast is going to grow. Maybe we'll get some co-hosts. Maybe we'll try some, you know, different kinds of music from around the world. But uh, I don't know. We're we're still where we are. <laughs> There's so much. I can barely... Uh, it's too much to do here. Yeah. Get through uh, looking at all the uh, new releases. I've been spending mm. almost an hour a day some days just sifting through all the new releases that come out. Uh, right. You know, uh, that's sort of the uh, the blessing and the curse of streaming. There's so much uh, that comes out that you can check out right away. So you know, One of the interesting things about classical music, I remember in 2021, I, I got so many albums i think more i think i bought more cds that year than i ever have in my life and right. now this year suddenly well there there's plenty coming out but i'm not seeing a lot that i really want to hear mm. and i think uh there's enough for the show though but um i think it might be because the uh pandemic is finally catching up with us because people weren't well they either didn't record or they did this this kind of solo project in their house there's a lot of us uh, solo violin right. recordings and piano recordings and that sort of thing but um I don't know. I think we're seeing the result of it now. One thing that we, I think we've uh, done a good job of is uh, with variety. Uh, and that's been the kind of fun thing for me in jazz anyway, is uh, trying to get uh, a variety of styles uh, and a variety of uh, locations, making it as international as possible. Yeah, it's been a real ear opener for me because yeah. I wouldn't have heard all this jazz otherwise, you know? And I think in classical, you've uh, done a pretty good job as far as uh, time era goes. We've gone way back to Renaissance and uh, yeah. up to current day. And uh, we've gotten some interesting instruments. We've got some interesting stuff tonight, uh, <laughs> instrument-wise. You, know, you know what my big dirty secret is, though? If we weren't doing this podcast, I'd still be listening to all this music anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. So there it is. Right. Well, in fact, this podcast is cutting into my music listening time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're coming to you so, tonight. So you should be grateful, listener. <laughs> on Easter Sunday evening. And, yeah, here we are. Uh, Easter Sunday. Happy, so happy Easter, Easter everybody. to everyone around the world. Yeah. You'll be listening to this uh, probably after Easter, but uh, yeah. that uh, puts a little time stamp on this one. And as I said, it's episode 59. Before we get going into the music we'll discuss, I want to remind our listeners and any new listeners we have that in the episode description you can find links to all this music uh except uh, do we have we have one hyperion this 
evening, don't we? Yeah, we do. There are going to be more coming, too. There's some yeah. good stuff in Hyperion coming out. We do have a Hyperion this this evening. Yeah, it's yes. not available on uh, streaming, but I'll give you the links to their website. Uh, you can check out samples. Anyway. And I want to mention, they're a great record label, you know, except they that are. they don't put stuff up on streaming. They have so much great stuff on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they'll come around. Sony's kind of come around with a lot of releases recently. Yeah. Uh, they're on streaming, but they're like a so. major label. So yeah. You know, Hyperion's still kind of a... I guess you'd call it a boutique label. Boutique. Mm. Yeah, they're yeah. smaller. Uh, for anything that's available on streaming, uh, I'll put the links up for Spotify and Apple there uh, under uh, each recording information. And uh, you also find the full episode playlist with uh, all of the music in one spot on Deezer, where you can listen in CD quality. Uh, and also follow the podcast there if you like. Uh, it's our preferred uh, streaming platform. And you can find us at uh, you adult music podcast that's our username now if you don't see the full description or list on whatever app or platform you listen to us on uh, you can always come over to our host site on podbean p-o-d-b-e-a-n podbean.com and all the links uh, for all of our past episodes are easy to follow there now if you enjoy the podcast please follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you're listening to us on if you take just a moment, give us a ranking or write a review that helps us get listed in the browsing category recommendations, which we have been for this last week. Uh, yes. We've been in Apple and Podbean. Uh, and right it helps because we got a few more uh, downloads yeah. this week than we normally do. Yeah. Get some new listeners and mm. that makes us happy. And growing our audience is uh, one of the things we'd like to do. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Adult Music Podcast. We've got a page going there. You can leave a message, uh, put a comment there. Uh, you'll also yeah. be able to access the playlists there. Yeah, please do that. We do want to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like yeah. to contact us directly by email with any comments and questions, you can do that as well. Our email address is Adult Music Podcast. That's all one word at gmail.com. Okay. So you just mentioned it was Easter, and I just want to just mention, we're not going to do a review of this record, but I heard uh, this week, I spent Easter week listening to a Bach St. John Passion uh, by the uh, Monteverdi Choir, English Baroque soloist, conducted by John Elliott Gardner. It's a new recording on Deutsche Grammophon, and I have the physical copy, which comes with two CDs and blu-ray audio i can't tell you how exciting this was wow. now, the blu-ray audio streamed at 96 kilohertz so it's sort of like a super audio cd yeah. and it was in surround and it just sounded beautiful it was great to hear all these voices in that uh in that format and it has a video on it too of the performance how wow. nice was that really well wow. done it's looking pretty good for his age i have to say he's a uh, right. pretty pretty uh active recording so that was it yeah that's a nice recording i would i would give that a listen and the the other one i mentioned last week i have here on the shelf and i didn't get to it which is sad this might have to wait till next year uh matthew passion by uh, bach this is by uh, pygmalion conducted by Raphael pichon hmm. some of the vocalists are julian pregardian pregardian uh, stefan de Gout, and sabine devier this is um it looks like it's almost all french singers there's a lot of them anyway Highly recommended. This it's this one if you want to oh. <laughs> listen to it. All right, but I haven't. I actually haven't heard it yet. So, <laughs> mm. all right. The, well, the Saint Matthew Passion is a, is a bit of a project. It's over three hours. Yeah, long. yeah. I have a couple <laughs> a couple recordings of that, but like you say, you need kind of a whole afternoon to get through. Yeah, it. yeah. And it's kind of I don't want to say it's samey, but it's it's good. But it's 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 one of the great works of Western music. Really, it's yeah. kind of you know so. Um, 
by the great Johann Sebastian Bach. Anyway, we're not talking about that tonight. We're going to go... We are, we are, we do have some uh, religious music coming up at the end, some contemporary composers, uh, religious uh, choral music. It's not really Easter-themed. No. There isn't really much Easter-themed music, which is a funny thing, because hmm. um, people would think that Christmas is the most important you know, Christian holiday of the year, but it's actually Easter. Easter is really where the whole... Christian thing starts yeah the meaning comes in but uh, yeah I guess Christmas is at the end of the year it's near New Year's everybody um, and people give presents there are a lot of traditions around it It, there are a lot of traditions around Easter too but I think they're they're only adhered to among Christians themselves (laughs) yeah Hmm, maybe maybe it's an idea Mm -hmm. someone should start writing Easter songs so you know Jewish people have Passover and you know Muslims have Ramadan at this time of year so I think they're all we're all in our own little corners Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Well, where are we going to start out uh, the classical world tonight? Yeah. Okay. So the first one, I, I, my, my general template is like Baroque, and then something in between, and then something contemporary, and then I kind of veer off from that. But I'm back to Baroque uh, tonight, which is nice, and a familiar um, musician for this uh, podcast, Theotim Langlois de Svarta. We really like him a lot. And uh, here he's uh, he's recording with Les Ombres, um, conducted by or directed by Margot Blanchard and Sylvain Sartre. This album is Vivaldi, Leclerc, and Locatelli Violin Concertos, hmm. and it's on the Harmonia Mundi label. Now we we've talked about uh, I think Langlois de Sfarta on this. This is the fourth time he's on. Wow. Because um, he just keeps coming up with these um, intriguing projects, and we really like him. I've liked. Uh, Three, three of the four recordings that he's played on. I still do listen to the Proust one, say, ah, maybe this time I'll like it. But uh, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, I, I think it's kind of a, he's he's good on it, but I just feel like they don't, the two the two players didn't really match didn't, very well. Yeah, gel together as well. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they kind of, I, I don't want to get back, replay that. You can listen to the old episode where we talked about it. My comments still hold. Because I, I do change my opinion about uh yeah, sometimes we talk because it's you need time to listen to some of them, you know. Sure. But I don't know. Well, what he has is that amazing sweet sound, and He's got that a sweet can, sound that can yeah. make almost any piece sound just great. Uh, yeah. You know, even if it's not an outstanding composition. Yeah, um, he plays rather quietly, sort of like we talked about Alina Ibrahimova, but it's a totally different sound than mm-hmm. she has. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's really nothing like that. Also, he has this amazing melodic sense, like he just pulls all the. Uh, the, the the chocolatey goodness out of the uh, out of the melody, yeah. you know, in these uh, winding baroque melodies. Sometimes I remember playing the piano; you would never really know where to stop one line and start the next, you know, because it just sounds like it should just keep playing forever. Mm. But you know, you want to put in some breaths, even though the piano you don't need to breathe on the piano, but you want to make it sound human. Yeah. So yeah, he has got excellent phrasing that uh, mm. yeah, it finds the arc of the melody and makes it really sing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So I always enjoy listening to uh, him play, which is a lot for me to say because I'm not a huge solo violin work, uh, mm. you know, listener. But everything we've done about uh, his uh, recordings, and he's recording a lot these days. Uh, yeah, really he seems to be nice. coming out with yeah. three recordings a year so far, wow. with him as the uh, the lead. It's it's right. not like he's playing on somebody else's album. He's. Right. Uh, yeah, he's kind of the lead. Anyway, this particular um, program, I actually didn't read the booklet note for this one. I really should have because I wanted to know 
you know how the how what his kind of idea was for putting mm-hmm. this um program together but i just didn't get to it i don't know anyway it's vivaldi leclerc and locatelli and um this particular um one starts with let's just go through these uh, works and i'll mention the things i really liked about this album because i liked this album a lot this mm-hmm. one i was listening to it all week long actually okay it starts out with a vivaldi um uh it's not really a vivaldi piece it's called prelude in a minor and it's based on vivaldi's violin concerto um rv355 um this is um i think i think he may have improvised this mm. um it starts with these rumblings from the ensemble and especially the harpsichord and the violin plays quick figures and if you've ever heard um Arvo Pert's um contemporary piece Fratre from um 1977 it kind of the, the opening violin figuration sounds like that it almost mm. sounds like he uh lifted well well the the Pert is based that particular figuration is based on baroque violin but uh i think um i suspect that uh Langlois de Swart has that in mind when he's um mm playing this because it really sounds a lot like it um i want to mention another thing about uh langlois de Sartre's, uh, playing he's not showy at all he's always serving the melody the piece um now that's a lot of people go to um concerts to hear the performer you, you, you want to hear um you know this person's personality you know however oversized it may be it's very exciting uh, he's not like that and he i do consider him to be an exciting player but just because mm. his playing is so beautiful but he doesn't really you know step out and like kind of say okay this is me now you know you never really get that from him right. but you're always aware it's him i don't it's it's not a criticism i just i like his playing a lot and i like the his approach okay so after that uh, prelude it's very brief um we get to the, our first violin concerto by Jean-Marie Leclerc, French um, composer. Uh, this is his Opus 7, number 5, from uh, his his set of works, Six Concertos a Tre Violini, Alto e Basso. has a um, an Italian title. Should I should have read the booklet note. Mm, now I'm regretting it. Anyway, this one starts out... It's a three-movement... All, all these works are three-movement works, I think. I'm pretty sure they are. Okay. I think so. That's pretty normal. Fast, slow, fast. This is a, uh, a style Vivaldi invented, the whole fast, slow, fast concerto. And he wrote enough of them that they, <laughs> they stuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are hundreds of Vivaldi concertos. Anyway, Jean-Marie Leclerc, the first movement is vivace, very lively. And um, we leap straight into this from that uh, prelude that we heard before. Um, so there's no real separation between them. It's a nice uh, transition. Uh, played with good energy. I love the presence of the basso continuo on this recording. Uh, the whole recording is very clear. Um, maybe a bit too much reverb on the solo violin and strings, but it does allow the instruments to breathe, and it gives um, uh, Langlois de Schwarz's sound more body, so I guess I can't really complain about it, but I do notice it. I just wanted mm. to point that out. Um, I remember that Langlois de Soir's sound is uh, pretty small from previous recordings, but he sounds very present and athletic here in this energetic movement. I love the detail in the bass end of the ensemble on this. This is a really nice recording, actually, that way. The bass, the bass end sounds great. Often on uh, Baroque recordings, you'll have the harpsichord and you'll have some cello or something like that all playing the continuo, and they tend to mass together somehow on the recording, but that's not the case here. They're all easy to pick out of the uh, recording and I really liked that 
Uh, catchy, urgent phrasing from the soloist. Very appealing. And uh, then we go to the second movement, Largo, the uh, slow movement. It's four minutes long. It has a slow and very melodic intro, the kind of thing that uh, Langlois de Swart um, excels at. Um, the present-sounding string accompaniment undulates palpably. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting like yourself it. with your it own. Kinda, huh? Yeah, it, it excited me. I, it kind of reminded me of that Mozart uh, clarinet concerto middle movement because that sort of thing happens there. Um, the violin comes in sweetly about 45 seconds in. It's, a, it's, it's got a pretty long wait until it um, makes its entrance. And uh, this great recording picks up the gentle pattering in the harpsichord. I'm sorry, that's the, the I think the harpsichord and theorbo. A theorbo is like a giant guitar or, mm. or a bigger guitar, and it, it makes a plucking sound. While the harpsichord is plucked too, but it sounds more chimey, as you know. And uh, there's kind of like this kind of like nice tactile quality to the sound that I think might be coming from the theorbo. You can hear the the plucking coming through mm. the um. The whole, I thought that was really beautiful, really good uh, recording. Um, it, yeah, because the theorbo isn't up front for the instrument to register, or the harpsichord. I'm pretty sure it might be both. Um, so they're in, they're down there in the mix, but they're kind of peeking out. The middle section starts at around uh, two minutes and thirty seconds. This is kind of a, a, tr a ternary form, ABA. So the beginning material repeats, and it ends on an open cadence, which. Uh, f falls into the um, whenever we have an open cadence at the end of a movement, I always feel like there's this feeling of like. You know, you're on the edge of a cliff, and then you're just gonna just fall forward and <laughs> free fall, mm. sort of, into the third movement, and that's kind of what we have here. Allegro assai, very uh, allegro, uh, cheerful, joyful. Noticeable reverb on the energetic opening. This more more so than in the rest of the album, uh, but there's a lot of clarity, and probably would have been more without so much room reverb. Um, I do love the way the harpsichord shadows the violin's quick athletic line at around a minute in. Uh, this is another fairly long and eventful movement. Good energy throughout. I really enjoyed it. Okay. We come on to uh, Vivaldi, Violin Concerto in B minor. Vivaldi has written so many violin concertos that you just... even I don't know. I should talk to a scholar about this one day, a Vivaldi <laughs> scholar, because I don't think they could keep up with them all either. There's there's so many. There A lot of them are kind of samey. You know, they, but they're sort of because um, he he had he kind of does the same things. He's kind of showy with the violence, very bright sounding, usually energetic with a with a lyrical slow movement in the middle. But okay, so let's talk about this one. Um, I, I didn't even know if I had ever heard this one before. I'm not sure. I might have, <laughs> but it sounds a little different here, and that's a good thing. Okay, I said that this one sounds vaguely familiar. I mean, I could go through my Vivaldi collection and see if I actually have this on another recording. I probably do. But um, this here, it's Vivaldi's um, concerti are usually pretty aggressively played, and this one is not very aggressively played. It's got it's it's got sufficient aggression. Um, by the ensemble, uh, they soften the edges of the rhythm, which are usually pretty sharp. You know, you can cut your finger on that stuff you get too close to your speakers anyway Desvart is in full flight uh, his sweet sound not throwing sparks but raising a smile nonetheless um, I found myself smiling a lot through this recording that's always a good sign you know he's very musical melodic sweet toned second movement Largo a typical Vivaldi slow movement 
rather untypically played here with great sensitivity in the accompanying phrasing and of course in the violin solo as well um, the balance is beautiful and the movement comes up as something that draws the ear in rather than merely acting as a break between fast movements which can often happen in a Vivaldi concerto um, phrasing from both uh, Langlois de Svart and the ensemble is beautiful and again I love the clarity with which all of the accompaniment comes through uh, nice continuo, especially from the Theorbo, the, the big guitar, the, you know, the kind of droning. Well, yeah. it doesn't. It, it kind of gently plucks. It's nice. It's pretty. Third movement, Allegro, is rushing with impressive solo figuration. We, we expect that of Vivaldi, mm -hmm. of course. I like the cello as the continuo with its long, drawn-out notes, providing stability to the harmony at this speed. Next, we get to... Pietro Locatelli, Violin Concerto in E Minor. Ooh, I rolled that R. Opus 3, number 8. <laughs> <laughs> From, uh, here here comes another rolled R. L'arte del violino, Opus 3. I get my rolled R's have kind of gone by the wayside here in Japan. I, I go to, when, I, when I go to Italy and speak Italian, I can't do them anymore. I get tired or something. I don't know. I don't know. The Andante is classical sounding in this uh, piece with its balanced phrases. Uh, the Andante goes on for some time. Uh, all the repeats seem to be taken. In fact, this seems like a classical score. It doesn't sound very Baroque to me, mm. although it does have a continuo. So. The rhythmic figures um, sound kind of like a stately dance. At 3 minutes and 45 seconds, the violinist introduces the capriccio section with arpeggiated figuration. Again, sounding like the beginning of Pertz's Fratres. I'm kind of, you know, referencing that piece a lot. Mm -hmm. If you don't know it, make sure to hear the violin and piano version of it, especially the one played by Guidon Kremer and Keith Jarrett. It's really beautiful. Or the one we recommended with uh, Renaud Capuçon last mm. year. That was a yeah. good one, too. Does he play that with the piano? I don't remember. I haven't been mm. listening to it lately. Yeah. Anyway, I should go back to it. So should you, listener. Anyway, the entire section is for a solo violin who goes through different chords using the same figuration. Yeah, the capriccio section is its for the solo violin only. It's kind of weird. It's like he just steps right. out. Everybody else disappears. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, a really interesting uh, approach. We're going to hear it again in the third movement. But first, the second movement, Largo, not much slower than the previous movement. Hmm. Um it starts with some forbiddingly dark chords sawed out by the strings. And when I say sawed out, I kind of mean it's, it's you know, like if you're sawing wood, well, you go back and forth, but it just the strings are just kind of slashing. Mm. The bows are slashing across the strings for that sound. The violin st solo starts at about 49 seconds, and he plays a lot of these curling melodies. Always beautiful phrase. I don't think I need to say that again, but I will. Accompaniment includes harpsichord and theorbo, but is string-heavy. I did like uh, Langlois de Svart's sudden muted sound at the very end of the movement. So you'll notice it when mm. it happens because it just suddenly quietens. It's really nice. Okay, and then the third movement, Allegro, and then we have a capriccio again. Um, a capriccio kind of, what it means, it's, it's like a like a fancy or something you just do off the cuff. Um, so like if you eat a capriccio as a pizza, it just means like the 
the the pizza guy just went crazy and put whatever he wanted on the pizza. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what that it can means. be scary in Japan. You never it know could, what's going to. Yeah, end well, up you, we don't want people to get too uh, ca capricious here in Japan. That's for sure, because they can put all kinds of oddities on that pizza. Let me tell you, um, and they do. <laughs> Corn and mayonnaise being a couple surprising. They ones, like but, corn here. Yeah. But they do that. They do that in parts of, of uh, like in New England too, in the U.S. Hmm. Anyway, I don't want to say that because my Italian friends get all angry when they hear about pineapples and pizza. And Lord knows what they would do. Now, to if me, they heard people put corn on them. To me, um, yeah, pizza should just have like pepperoni, peppers, and onions. That's it. Uh, Maybe sausage. Uh, I could even have yeah. anchovy, but yeah, know, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. By the way, another another thing about um, that drives Italians crazy is that pepperoni in Italian means a green pepper. It doesn't yeah, mean yeah, those yeah. like sausage things. So right. They get all confused when they go to America. Yeah, <laughs> and they find out that pepperoni is kind of like a like a hot sausage. Or something. It's just a salami, you know. It's a salami, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's a salami. Um, yeah, anyway, back to the music. I really like anyway. uh, this one uh, on the Capriccio. Oh, the uh, cadenza is pretty impressive here. Does like, uh, would you call it a cadenza? I, it's, um, well, yeah, it's it's basically the Capriccio, it's not really, yeah, a cadenza. yeah. I mean, so, yeah, but he's all alone for a really extended kind of time, yeah. and he plays it yeah. with the finesse of a cadenza with these kind of descending trills and hmm. uh what a tone on the high notes there yeah i noted that it's yeah. just like wow um beautiful sound you know sometimes you know that's the hair starts to stand up on your neck on a that kind of note on the violin but he makes it sound you know so rounded and uh lovely toned uh it's great yeah this is a really exciting movement yeah and at the end too he there's one particularly interesting bit in the capriccio um a bit after the six-minute mark, the violin plays this vibratoless bass line that sounds, I guess, like moaning while it's playing trills and the figuration at the same uh, time. Because yeah, yeah. so he's getting all this like expression out of the trills and figuration, and then there's this this bass line that's kind of that has no emotion at all, really, and mm. it's just kind of. It, it was a really interesting kind of combination of sounds. I was really, I was really pulled in by that. Mm. I was like, wow, this is really weird. <laughs> Yeah. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a there's mm. a few sections. I, I forget which movement is when he's doing, um, you know, it, it, this repeated bass note, and um, yeah. he's uh, doing all of these kind of pyrotechnics above it, and he mains, right. maintains that uh, composure with the low tone, uh, you know, as as about as perfectly a human possible, perfectly. Oh, possible yeah. as a human uh, in there, and and it's it's still not perfect because it can't be because it's such a difficult thing. But you can tell that you know he is very conscious of even the tone of that mm -hmm. you know one repeated note while all the dazzling stuff is going on way above it, and uh, and he makes it sound you know almost easy when I know it's <laughs> it's yeah. anything but yeah. So right, but as you I, say, um, his style. He's doing all of these things while not showing off. It's it's not like he's not adding that extra like look at me kind yeah, of thing to it. He never has that yeah. in fact. So, so he's you know he's well trained that way. Sometimes I I like that, but you know Yeah, sure. It's in fact I think 
Well, I'll, I'll leave this for when it, when it happens. I was going to say, there's a there might be a pianist coming up that's got a lot of uh, u- rather unique flair in the way he plays. Oh. <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that in a, in future weeks. Anyway, mm. next um, is uh, Jean-Marie Leclerc again, Violin Concerto in D Major, Opus Ten, Number Three. Um, starts with an allegro moderato movement. This one has a very regal opening with this uh, broad rhythm, leaving a lot of space for the ensemble to play its material in. It, it sounds like, yeah, this it sounds like this this is big unfurnished room that this whole army can march into. Hmm. Uh, the violin comes in with with double stopping in this uh, very impressive uh, entry. Um, double stopping. I, we sometimes have new listeners, I guess, that don't know the classical music terminology. It's when you're playing two notes or more at the same time on the violin. So it's um, it's like a chord. Okay, it's hard to do to keep them both in tune. Uh, very warm, melodic material follows. And when the solo finishes, the ensemble repeats its opening material. The violin solos in its upper range in its second solo section. And towards the end, the rhythm breaks down and the violin plays this cautious figure. This is almost like something Beethoven would do. Hmm. And then starts again at full speed to put the harmony back together again, like a spider rapidly repairing a web. (laughs) (laughs) The whole pace, yeah. It's like the film speeded up or something and he put it all together again. The whole pace of the piece is relaxed and confident. It's some interesting details in there. Second movement, Andante, starts with quarter note chords played slowly, like when dun, 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 dun. They're just repeating. You're just waiting for something interesting, which is going to be the melody, right? The violin begins its melodic theme over that, like a singer singing to accompaniment. It's a gorgeous melody. It would have to be with that kind of accompaniment because that's the, all the interest is going to be on the uh, solo instrument. Um, gorgeous melody and rich accompaniment here. The violin and accompaniment gets gentler and fainter at the end, keeping the repetitive material interesting. So what they kind of what this composer doesn't do in this particular case with um, harmonic interest, he does with uh, dynamics, or they do with dynamics. I'm not really sure if he's marked this, but it's an, it turns out to be an interesting movement. Allegro Manon Troppo, this has a dancey rhythm with triplets, and I counted this in 9-8 time, because um, it was like, that's what I got. Hmm. I don't know, that's how I heard it anyway. And an odd line that rises but doesn't fall at the end, which kind of gives it a sort of um, unbalanced profile to the uh, melody. Uh, which the rest of the material emulates. Uh, when the violin solos, he adds a downward balancing figures. There's a gorgeous tone and phrasing by Desfart. How many times have I said this already? Yes, yeah, <laughs> as, as throughout the album. But it's true. I, it's just a really, it's really beautiful playing throughout. A pleasing conclusion to this work with some false cadences followed by an unsure cadential ending. It's like he forgot how to do a cadence. It's fantastic. I loved it. It sounds harmonically fumbled. Because <laughs> okay. it doesn't end. It ends on a cadence, but it's not a big, strong cadence. Hmm. I guess you'd call it a feminine cadence. We were talking about this last, last week. week yeah. With our yin and yang. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Antonio Vivaldi. We have another one of those preludes based on a trio, in this case, Trio Sonata RV60. This one uh, uses a droning bass. It's not really, it's Vivaldi's melody but it's not really Vivaldi it's kind of, this is something that the uh, musicians put together from his material uh, this particular one uses a droning bass over which the violin flies like a bird 
with its arpeggios. It mm-hmm. ends and goes right into the Vivaldi Concerto. This is Violin Concerto in C Major, RV-179A, subtitled Per Anna Maria, for Anna Maria. I'm sure she was really happy with this. <laughs> All right. Allegro ma non troppo. This has another regal uh, beginning. Regal, king-like. <laughs> okay. Much like Leclerc's work that we just heard. Um, this quickly changes to something straightforward in 4-4. Um, I'm so used to uh, flashiness in Vivaldi's concertos that this comes as a welcome surprise. Uh, it's a bit slower than we usually hear with Vivaldi's music. And the violin's tone isn't overly bright, which might be due to the... I think he's using gut strings. I'm not... I don't know, though. Again, I didn't read the booklet for this. I am remiss this week. So we hear the piece with the music emphasized over virtuosity. Um, yeah, this is... Langlois de Swart's tone really grabs my ear. And I think he's on my uh, list for all future re- releases. Not that we're going to talk about them all on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to be listening to everything he puts out this year. And I probably want to talk about it again because it, it's all been so good so far. Mm. Largo movement. Slow movement with pairs of chords followed by a pause. And this piece proceeds like this as the violin winds melody over the space. Uh, the violins, the violin builds to winding, fluttery patterns and sounds gorgeous throughout this slow movement. At one point, the violin seems to run out of steam and its melody ticks down to a slower tempo. Then it delivers a heartfelt lament. Probably at its lost energy. <laughs> Third movement is an allegro, and this was, I'm not really sure how this was put together. Um, it's unpublished, and it was re- this uh, third movement was reconstructed by uh, Olivier Faure. And um, lively celebratory energy in this fast movement, perhaps the liveliest on the album. The violin is put through its paces at this speed, particularly at 2 minutes and 40 seconds on, while the ensemble sounds slightly more aggressive than on previous tracks. There's some impressive double stopping by the violinist after the 3 minute and 10 second mark and lovely high note patterns after 3 minutes and 45 seconds. I'm wondering if those are harmonics. I really like the sound. Mm. This is an impressive movement. It really doesn't sound like something... It doesn't sound like Vivaldi's form. So I think the reconstruction may have... um, Because Vivaldi tends to be really compact and this feels like it's really spreading out a bit. Uh, The violin winds down the scale playing figuration all the way until it arrives at a cadence point, at which point it plays a light cadenza then resolves to the explosive rhythm that leads us to the quick ending. Yeah, I love this album. Uh, it was musical all the way through. Um, uh, Theotime Langlois de Soit has a great tone and endearing phrasing of melodic lines, and I want to hear everything he does. Highly recommended listener. This is my classical pick of the week. Definitely hear this. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot too. Great tone, uh, lots of finesse. Uh, good style. Uh, he makes it sound easy. The recording is is excellent. Uh, as you say, there's a bit of reverb in there, but the um, the balance is excellent uh, between the violin and the ensemble. Uh, everything's clear, and uh, the low end comes out, as you said. I'd recommend putting this one on in the morning when you get up. If you have uh, a little okay, time yeah. before work, get that strong cup of coffee. And the rhythmic energy and the... Uh, the way he performs uh, this with smoothness will get you just pumping 
but not agitated. Uh, it's going to get your uh, brainwaves yeah. aligned and uh, get you in a good mood. Uh, this is really uh, positive and well-performed uh, Baroque music here. So you can't go yeah. wrong. Definitely yeah. listen to this. Next one. Okay, this is a really enjoyable album too, and it's kind of unique. Horn and Piano, a core bass recital. And this is by the similar sounding named Tunis van der Zwart with a Z, hmm. Z for you um, British people out there, and not an S like Theotim Langlois de Zwart. Um, Tunis van der Zwart on Corbas and Alexander Melnikov on the Forte Piano. Now, if you listen to a lot of classical music, um, Alexander Melnikov's name might be familiar from... He's he's Isabel the violinist Isabel Faust's normal accompanist, and he often plays that forte piano. He it's an early piano, the one that Beethoven would have played around mm. that era. This is on the Harmonium Mundi label as well. Okay, now this is a pretty interesting release because first of all we need to understand what a corbas is. I didn't know. I I picked up this record thinking oh it's a French horn, but it's not. Uh, so let me figure. Let me explain this. Um, I read. I actually read the notes to this one, and um, this he said that this album is the result of his PhD research into the sound and technique of Giovanni Punto, who was a famous um, horn virtuoso in the 19th century. And his name isn't even really Giovanni Punto. That was his no, stage name. That's the interesting part of yeah. the story that I looked up too. This is a great story. You want to tell it? Go ahead. Cause I just have that. Well, his his name is Jan Vaslav Stitch. Stitch. Yeah. He's a uh, Czech, right? He's uh, Czech. Uh, yeah. yeah. So apparently he was, you know, like his family was, they were serfs or something, right? Mm. I mean, they were just, you know, uh, uh, lower class, but he somehow got into service of account there and mm -hmm. um, then uh, he uh, was there for I guess four years or something for this count and then he, he and a group of friends ran away and the oh, count yeah, I have heard the, about this guy the yeah, count okay. who had yeah. invested money into his education right yeah. got really angry and so he put out a hit on him basically <laughs> he got a bunch of soldiers <laughs> and the orders were to knock his front teeth out so that he couldn't play the horn anymore that's really and, mean. Yeah, and so Stitch uh, escaped into Italy, into the uh, Holy Roman Empire, and he became uh, Giovanni Punto. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Uh, sorry, they never caught up with him. So uh, yeah, yeah, and and he became this really famous virtuoso yeah, too. Yeah. So you'd think they would have heard of him eventually, yeah. but maybe so, they didn't know who he was. So I guess this instrument, it you know it. It looks kind of like a French horn in, you know, yeah. it's a wrapped up thing, but you don't have any valves on it. Um, I just want to say that when it hits put on you, most people are trying to run away from Italy. He kind yeah, of- Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just thinking too, yeah. Because <laughs> there was a Italy, composer, yeah. it might have been Caldara, who was actually murdered by uh, his uh, debtors. I don't know. Wow. Well, cl classical music is wild and woolly, people. I don't know why it's not more popular. Anyway- <laughs> All kinds of good drama to go we're, with it. That's what we're for. We're going to change that. So I guess this instrument, uh, what I found entertaining about this recording is uh, this technique of, of using the hand in the bell, which uh, I guess assists with the different pitches uh, you get, mm. because otherwise you have to rely on your lip. But it results in some interesting kind of tonal variations and almost yeah. like wah-wah mute kind of uh, <laughs> effects with it. Um uh, so it's very interesting uh, to 
you know, see yeah, the he, technique he, he, at work. The uh, yeah, the uh, the soloist here tells us a little bit about how he does that. Um, oh boy, look at this! I had uh, spell check came to my rescue and changed the spelling of core bus to C O R E core base. Oh my god, <laughs> what is that? The core base. Okay, no, core, core bus base. is the it's a, it's a French word. Yeah. yeah. Low horn, it means. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so he uses a Corbas mouthpiece, which I guess is wider than a uh, regular horn's mouthpiece in this case, okay. a higher horn. And uh, he uses ornamentation. And one point that I heard, multiphonics in his playing. Yes, multiphonics, yeah. it was only once, right? I only heard mm-hmm. one, clearly. Yeah. Um, produced by playing one note and singing another note through the instrument. Mm-hmm. That's it would make that. sense that he's using a bigger mouthpiece because he does uh, have some passages that get really low, that yeah. you know, much lower than a French horn would be able to. So, um, yeah. yeah, the French horn is hard enough to play. I keep yeah. hearing people talk about yeah. that. that it's and that real. has valves, <laughs> little rotary valves. Uh, yeah. This thing uh, looks like it would be a real challenge to uh, make music on. Yeah. Okay, so... Um the way that works, uh, multiphonics, if the frequencies of the two sounds are harmonically related, a combination tone or resultant tone will be perceived, and the best result produces a pure fifth, which right. is what we're going to hear when this Yeah, we heard some of album. that on uh, the trombone recording a few weeks ago. <laughs> some yeah, really yeah. crazy stuff with uh, uh, yeah. multiphonics. Yeah, by the way, none if. None of these uh, double or triple tones, whenever you hear these, are written into the score. And neither are any of the ornaments. So anything you hear that varies from the main melody is all put there by the soloist. Um, this, um, let's see, uh, van der Zwart um, uh, says that he's seeking the almost forgotten sounds and technique of the core bass. And he's hoping the recording will contribute to, for a revival of the velvety timbre. And I, that's a good word. It is kind of velvety. It's, it's a bit fluffy, yeah. Fluffy, velvety, and the it's also not... Uh, it's it's not penetrating. It's not one of those sounds that's going to kind of go through the walls and, you know, hmm. impale your uh, neighbors or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a regular brass inch mechan. Or, it, yeah, it's kind of a... It's, kind, it's I don't know, there's something like wider about it or something. It just doesn't... Hmm like penetrate as much it just kind of it's a nice sound i guess now the the piece i like the best on this album is the first one by uh, beethoven horn sonata opus 17 in f major and this was first performed on um guess what date 18 april 1800 and wow. we will be um uploading this uh podcast i think on 18 april in japan anyway yeah. so um you'll be hearing this on the um 222nd oh it's a magic number Mm, 222nd anniversary of its premiere if you listen to it on that day okay now Punto aka Stitch we'll call him Punto that's his uh, stage name Um, and uh, Beethoven playing the piano this is before this is 1800 before Beethoven's hearing loss really happened he knew it was happening in around 1803 but uh, so he was still playing at this time Beethoven admired Punto's sound and wrote this for him. And as far as we know, this was the first sonata for this uh, type of horn ever written. Hmm. And I have to tell you, um, um, 
Theonis van der Swart understands Beethoven's sense of humor because uh, there, there are a lot of things in this piece <laughs> that really kind of are startling and kind of funny, and uh, in, intentionally so. They're, they're, they're put there by Beethoven, and van der Swart gets it, and I was kind of happy to hear that. Um, this first movement, Allegro Moderato, is the sonata form movement. Actually, the other ones might be too. I shouldn't say that. Um, no, actually, they're not. The, this is the sonata form. The horn starts this piece solo with a fanfare. Um, the Forte Pano sounds really lightweight by comparison, to be honest. <laughs> um, actually, a, a modern piano probably would have sounded better with this instrument, but they're going for the uh, period sound here, mm -hmm. like what you would have heard if you were at that concert. Um, but the, the Forte Piano sounds pretty full when it's playing chords and running accompaniment in the bass. You, you almost forget that it's an early piano when when you hear that. Uh, the horn actually gets a lot of interesting sounds, especially in its lower end. Yeah, we don't so, know much about yeah. There's some we don't, like blaring <laughs> kind of effects and I, things that come I out. I really of it, enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. Those. Mm. Boing, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. You know, and, and it's funny by yeah. nature just to hear those sounds. So, uh, and I'm sure Beethoven, believe it or not, did have a sense of humor. There are a lot of moments, especially in his um, earlier works, where that comes out a bit. In his heroic period, you don't hear it all that much, but it's it's it comes out sometimes. All right, so we don't know much about performance styles with this uh, type of horn, but the sounds you hear here would be about what a person in 1800 would have heard. Um, Van der Zwart has a good sense of Beethoven's sense of humor, as I mentioned. Um, there are some nice timing deliveries calculated to raise a smile in this performance. Also, the horn uh, is capable of delivering a wide dynamic range. Um, he has a lot, and so is the forte piano to an extent. Um, it doesn't have the range of a the dynamic range of a modern piano, but um, it delivers quite a bit. Um, he has a lot of interesting phrasing ideas, which is where a lot of the humor comes from. And he varies the melodic material and draws out new ways of hearing it. I especially like the honk that the horn gives on its last three notes. <laughs> Make sure you, <laughs> you're you ready for those. Mm. Actually, if you're not ready for those, don't worry. You'll hear them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of draw your attention. Okay, second movement, Poco Adagio. Uh, this, uh, this is very short. It's only like a minute little over a minute long. It sounds like a short funeral march at the beginning, but the horn's approach shapes it as something a bit ungainly, which is humorous and intentionally so, I believe. Um, then we go to the third movement, Rondo, Allegro Moderato. Um, the previous movement cadences directly into the opening Rondo theme here, and this is a technique Beethoven used uh, more famously in his Violin Concerto and Fifth Piano Concerto, The Emperor where the, uh, th there's like kind of like a build-up at the end of the second movement, and then the cadence mm. is the beginning of the third movement. So this might be the first time he did that, although I'm not really sure. Again, van der Zwart has a good sense of the humor in this piece, as in just after a minute when he gets a repeating phrase and draws it out more emphatically each time he plays it, like he's getting impatient with it. It's kind of cute. Mm. He had me in good spirits throughout. Uh, basically, the piano plays its material straight, so it's kind of like, you know, the piano would be Abbott and the horn would, yeah. would be Costello, I guess. <laughs> I think that's why the humor comes out in this, because the yeah. the compositions themselves, Beethoven sort of sets them in a, you know, a, a very traditional classical kind of structure with a lot of... Uh, devices that you're going to expect to hear. And then every once in a while, you'll get 
a little bit of uh, the horn, you know, uh, joking on that, doing something unexpected uh, that you don't think is going to come up uh, next. So you can kind of imagine yeah. the interplay and the humor, you know, that he wrote, knowing that this is a sort of a a piece written for a specific performer. Uh, you can sort right. of get that inside jokes that they might have been hinting at and setting up with, right. you know, the the flow of the composition. So, you know, we don't know if these were them, but I mean, they may as well have been because they sound yeah. great. Yeah. Basically, the piano plays its material straight and sometimes excitedly, and the horn sounds exasperated at having to play with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's cute, really. I liked mm. it. Uh, the horn gets some pretty impressive repeated notes after the three minute and 15 second mark, showing some nice technique on this. It sounds like a kind of a cumbersome instrument to play. Yeah. Um, there's a fantastic blaring note after three minutes and fifty seconds. Again, if you uh, you know leave your stereo to the refrigerator to make a sandwich, uh, you might uh, drop it at this point because it's really yeah. obvious when squeeze this all the mustard out at once. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be uh, have a squeeze bottle in your hand at that point. <laughs> I guess it's the nature of the instrument that makes Van der Zwart the comedian in this piece, and it's a great ending blaring note as well. Now, one of the reasons I'm thinking these are all um, funny is because the rest of these uh, pieces on this album really aren't. <laughs> they really just kind of, they, they don't really have much of a sense of humor. They're very kind of um, formal, really. So, okay, so are we ready to go on? Okay, so Ferdinand mm. Rees, uh, Horn Sonata, Opus 34 in F major. Ferdinand Rees was a contemporary of Beethoven, and... Um, yeah, his music is, it's really good. It's very well formed. Um, he's really well worth hearing. He's got good melodic ideas. The thing is, Beethoven was so overwhelmingly uh, original in this period that uh, we just ignore every other composer that was <laughs> composing at the time, unless they were like writing opera or something, you know. But Ferdinand Reeves, actually, he actually worked as Beethoven's secretary at one point, too. But he composed like 300 works of his own, wow. uh, including this one. And they're worth hearing. They're they're mm. good. They're just not as original as Beethoven. That's the thing. Just don't compare it. You'll like it. It's good. Anyway, the first movement starts uh, Larghetto, and then that's the introduction. And then there's an Allegro Molto, which is the main section. So this has a serious opening, solid tone from the horn. Um, it sounds uh, romantic. It sounds like it's kind of, I don't know what year it was written in, but then again, Rees died very young. He was, I think he was around 50 or so. He died in 1838, uh, 11 years after Beethoven. So um, the 1830s were really the romantic era, and this uh, beginning sounds romantic to me. Uh, the piece is played straightforwardly and rather dramatically, so it's, again, this is not a humorous piece or approach, and that's why I think uh, there was a lot of comedy in the Beethoven piece. There are a lot of Beethovenian elements in this piece, I guess, as you would expect. He was such a big influence. Um, it's a fairly long movement at 11 minutes, 36 seconds, with a lot of uh, material developing and then being interrupted by repeated notes from the horn. Um, it's pretty interesting, actually. We get a straight mm. sonata form here. And as far as the technique goes, it sounds like he's utilizing his hand a lot uh, in the bell uh, oh. for various things. So you, you'll notice that change in the the tone uh as he you know uh works that way uh, i found that kind of interesting uh the character of the instrument changes uh with that yeah. you know so it changes quite a bit mm. as well it's kind of interesting okay the andante is a short middle movement with dark brooding repeating chords from the lower 
end of the fortepiano starting it off. Uh, both instruments are able to get off some brooding low sounds, especially the horn, who's impressively expressive. Oh, I'll say that three times. Impressively <laughs> expressive throughout. This is a, this is a pretty dark sounding movement. It's mm. kind of an interesting, um, kind of almost like a like a you know kind of paint you know painting a dark mood or something. Mm. And then we have a rondo at the end, um, memorable, led by the horn. The piano repeats the theme, and this goes pretty straightforwardly, really. Mm. There's a nice little pitch bend in that last one uh, oh, that, yeah. that caught my ear. Uh, listen for that. I, yeah. I didn't mark down uh, where it exactly is, but... Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I missed... I didn't write that down either. Mm. Oh, well. All right. Next is uh, a concerto, horn concerto in E major by Giovanni Punto himself. Mm. The, you know, the, uh, the soloist who... Uh, you know, was the the famous uh, virtuoso that this um, album is uh, taking after. So this is a, a concerto means that it would have a full orchestra supporting it. And here we have um, Alexander Melnikov, the forte pianist's arrangement of the concerto for horn and forte piano, which was an activity that was common enough in its day. And um, they these types of things got more virtuosic when Franz Liszt came on the scene mm-hmm. about 20 or 30 years later. Well, actually, in, in the 1830s, he was already there, but he started doing these transcriptions, I think, in the 1850s or so. All right, the first movement, Allegro Moderato. Now, this um, th- this really sounds like a straight concerto style because you get a lot of... Um, the All of the material is introduced by the piano in this case. It would be done by the orchestra because right. it's like giving the uh, soloist a... Uh, you know, an introduction sort of so that he can kind of come out and really knock him out. Um, it, it's kind of weird in this format though, because we're so used to hearing the violin and piano as, or the, uh, the solo as the two instruments as equal partners, but that's not the case here. Here, the horn is the, uh, the main interest. And I got so used to the piano's lower end in the previous piece, because it, it sticks around the, um, bass a lot that it sounds much brighter here. It might even be, uh, different instrument for all Mm. I know Um, as it plays the opening of the concerto material or Melnikov arranged it to sound that way Uh, there's a lot of exposition before the horn soloist comes in Um, the horn is showing off tone more than anything else I think in this movement it's it's a pretty straightforward movement and it's written by Punto himself so you want to think what is he He's writing for his sound or for his technique. So he, he what is yeah. he, what is it that he wants to show off or uh, put across? Yeah, he gets down uh, really low in a low register, uh, yeah. lower than we've heard here, and uh, yeah, the technique is pretty impressive too. So I, I could see he was writing this to show off what he was able to do. Yeah, you're right. He just sticks to kind of a cookie cutter sonata form in this. All the interest really comes in the solo playing and the the tone that he gets there's some virtuosic material um towards the end at about the five minute mark um and van der zwart takes this pretty slowly and gets a bit of his uh, sense of humor in by tapering off in the lower notes so they kind of almost disappear yeah. when they come he gets a cadenza at the end this is a concerto after all in which he demonstrates a lot of the sounds the horn can make and this is where we hear the uh multiphonics multiphonics yeah you could hear it just before the seven minute mark it really stands out so you're hearing two horn sounds at once and uh if you listen carefully enough if you realize this is happening um you'll hear that one of them is a, a vocalized sound that's being 
kind of done through the horn. It's a brief cadenza, and the movement comes to a quick conclusion. Okay, second movement, Adagio, has a mournful opening from the forte piano. Uh, the horn starts its melody high in its range and really goes through all of its range in this brief movement just over three minutes long, including including some very cool low notes. There's a nice cadential trill at the end, too, done yeah. by the horn. This is Pretty the impressive one on a horn. Yeah. where I thought some of the hand technique in the bell actually gets that kind of plunger effect uh, going, uh, <laughs> you know, like because uh, uh, the tone varies so much uh, when he does that, um, that I guess that's some, you know, unique characteristic of what happens in order to, you know, have that technique on this instrument. So it's pretty interesting. Right. Okay. Third movement is Rondo a la Chasse. So a hunting Rondo. So it's got this hunting rhythm, um, kind of like a galloping sort of uh, rhythm. And theme from the horn, the contrasting themes contrast pretty sharply because uh, it's got this, um, the, the the rondo theme sounds um, pretty cheerful. And then mm. <laughs> all the other themes are all kind of introspective and dark. <laughs> and then, yeah. then all of a sudden it's all cheerful again when the rondo theme comes back. It was kind of nice. This one so gets some kind of uh, impressive tonguing techniques on these ah. sextuplet doctors you know, uh, double yeah. triplet things and then uh, some really scooping final low notes that are uh, interesting <laughs> on this one too I thought yeah yeah all right and finally we have um, Franz Danzi 1763 to 1826 so he was really the classical era as well really he's really yeah Mozart's era and it sounds like that mm. horn sonata opus 28 in E flat major um, this is a big Opening movement, the first movement is Adagio-Allegro. So when you see that, you have an introduction and a main sec section. Excuse me. A big opening movement with an introduction. The fortepiano gets some ruminating melodic material in the intro while the horn essentially accompanies, which is kind of surprising. The more active main Allegro section features some appealing classical era type harmonies. And I would think Mozart more than Beethoven at this point. The piano has a lot to do in this movement, and he takes a lot of the lead. I do like the horn's phrasing here. He comes up with a variety of ways to present the material. Uh, not all of it pretty, and that's by design as well. Uh, some of it has a kind of legato where the notes melt into each other as if they're being like uh, melted in the heat. <laughs> you know? So they're kind of being disformed. Uh, you know what I'm talking about here? Hmm. Okay, he's creative in his approach throughout this album, really. I really enjoyed this this horn player's approach really he, he doesn't just play straight he really does take some chances and i really I, I like that the larghetto second movement is a good length at uh six minutes almost seven minutes long it starts with the piano and i like the the point 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 attack of the horn <laughs> at the beginning yeah. always appealing uh that's the only time we hear the point on this album that kind of uh attack the horn takes the melody in the next phrase and the repeat of the opening material we can hear some of the ornamentation that van der Zwart adds again that's not in the score he's doing that himself he ornaments a bit in the development section then plays the recapitulation at the end fairly straight um i like that approach when suddenly the uh the melody is naked again you know you're not really hearing the mm -hmm. ornamentation and you're just hearing it as it is both instruments get beautiful quiet tones at the end really nice and the third movement allegro again uh, the piano introduces the material again another rondo they really loved this 
uh, form for last movements in the classical era. And the piano always plays the rondo theme. Uh, the core bass is the star in the contrasting material. So this is an album full of pieces that aren't heard enough, but it's the horn that's the real star here, and especially its sound. Uh, Van der Zwart draws a lot of surprising tones from it throughout the recording, and his phrasing is always creative in ways that serve the compositions. I found myself drawn into this throughout. I liked it. Yeah, definitely something different. Um, should be of uh, interest to all brass players uh, who... You know, regardless of which instrument you play. Of course, for horn players, uh, French horn, but I found it as a trumpet player, uh, I found myself, you know, analyzing what his technique is and uh, the different kinds of attacks and the tones this instrument gets. And then it's obviously a technical challenge playing, you know, this style uh, instrument. It doesn't have uh, all the modern uh, conveniences of... Uh, uh, modern brass instruments, but uh, he has impressive uh, technique, and uh, but he also has a lot of fun while he plays this too. Uh, yeah, bringing out and that's some what I really enjoyed points. about it. Uh, so yeah. I thought, yeah, interesting tones and uh, impressive uh, flexibility from a challenging instrument, and in pieces you're not going to usually hear. So uh, yeah, it was something very interesting to listen to. Yeah, including a Beethoven work that you're not going to hear too often mm. either. I don't think. Okay, so my last classical um, recording of the evening is um, Jonathan Dove, Judith Veer, and um, who, who's this guy? Martin, Matthew Martin. Okay, I just wrote Martin. Um, um, these are choral works, um, sacred choral works, um, performed by the Choir of Westminster Abbey, uh, Peter Holder on the organ, James O'Donnell directing, and this is on Hyperion Records, and... Um, that means you're not going to be able to stream it, <laughs> but we'll get, we'll give you a link. Okay. The reason I, gotta, I wanted to do, yeah, I gotta say the, this, uh, this is a religious out recording, uh, yeah. that will bring the fear of the Lord into your you living think? room, uh, with oh. the sound of this organ, because <laughs> it this, is a nice sounding this organ. <laughs> organ is, uh, absolutely massive. Uh, and there's some, some West parts Mr. of this Abby, that, huh? uh, yeah, I thought the apocalypse was coming uh, when those low notes uh, and oh, the yeah. attacks on the organ. Uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, visceral uh, in the effect that uh, this instrument yeah, the, has here. The, the organ's bass notes bored a hole into my chest cavity. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. that, yeah. And, uh, well, I'll save when we get to that one part, but, uh, yeah, even if you're not religious, you might be by the end of this recording, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we get it. Yeah. <laughs> right, anyway. Um, I wanted to do this album because um, we heard, I think, at least Jonathan Dove. I think Judith Weir was also on the uh, the one of the Christmas albums that we did in our Christmas show in December. Mm. And I, I, I mentioned at the time that I wanted to hear more music by them because Jonathan Dove, these are all younger composers and they're all contemporary composers. Right. Um, and they're all choral composers primarily. And it's a funny thing. They're... There are composers for the guitar who don't really write for other instruments. They write for the guitar. And then there are people who just excel at choral composition, and they don't really do anything else. You can think of they're kind of like the, the Chopin of the choir, I guess. You know, mm. Chopin wrote only for the piano. Well, mostly for the piano. And there are composers who write uh, just for choirs, too. Um, let me, oh, man, who am I thinking of here? I, uh, 
my brain isn't working. Anyway. Well, it makes sense in a way. I mean, when you're dealing with, you know, lyrics and, uh, you know, considering the sort of enunciation and phrasing, I think it's a different approach uh, together. Um, So I think it's a, I, I can see where those where it could converge, but uh, especially listening to these uh, vocal arrangements, uh, there's some really unique things happening in the, right. the, you know, the distance between the voices in some places is really shocking in a way. Uh, it creates these huge, like, you know, intervallic spaces in the music that, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. I found this one. Yeah, it would have been nice to see a video of this being performed or to hear it in surround and kind of get a better idea of the placement of the voices and stuff. Anyway, so I did want to hear like some non-Christmas music by these uh, composers, and that's this came out, and I had to I had to grab it and listen. Anyway, these are all sacred works, um, and the first one is uh, Jonathan Dove. Actually, this program is. Um, um, divided into these sections for these three composers. So you're going to hear old Jonathan Dove works at first, then we'll hear Judith Weir, and then Matthew Martin at the end. So we start with Jonathan Dove, who's really uh, a, a contemporary um, star, really, in the choral music um, world. He He's um, well known and respected, I guess. This piece is called uh, Vast Ocean. He was born in 1959, by the way, so you can figure out his age from that. He's a little older than us. Um, Vast Ocean of Light, written in 2010. And uh, this was inspired by the words of Phineas Fletcher, an English Renaissance poet. Uh, The text inspired Dove to write some kind of numinous music. That's a great word, numinous. Yeah. Yeah. So the piece has a sense of spaciousness, ostinato figurations, and mesmerizing changes of harmony. That's the booklet talking. Um, what I have to say about it is that it starts with a light organ swirling figuration mm. and boys choir singing the text. Oh, heavenly and beautiful. This is pretty stunning. It's, yeah. a, it's a unique sound as well. Um, um, some odd chords follow as the men's voices come in and accompany me. Uh, no women, by the way, in, the, in these choirs. It's just men and boys. Um, the pace of the vocals quicken from the line, who lends the sun his sparkling drop. The organ figuration is very appealing throughout. In fact, the organ is fantastic through this entire yeah. album. It's... um. Yeah, it's got it has some great parts, mm. and not just because of the player um, Peter Holder, but just the uh, what's written for him here. It's really fantastic. Um, there are quite a few subtle changes of the stops to change the organ sound as the piece progresses, which was also mm. it kind of appealed to that subtle side that I like to hear. I, I really like subtlety in music a lot. The Westminster Abbey Choir have appealed to me for years, um, and I'm always kind of interested in hearing what they're doing, depending on who the composer is, I guess. Otherwise, I would have even less money than I have now, because (laughs) I would have bought all their recordings, too. Uh, This recording brings back happy memories of older recordings, as well as allowing me to hear these new compositions. Anyway, this particular piece ends on the wonderful line, What night can hide eternal day? An appropriate thought for Easter, as it turns out. Um, with no bass voices or pedals on the organ there. Okay. Tracks two through five, we get another Jonathan Dove piece, the Misa Brevis, written in 2009. Misa Brevis means just short mass, and it's usually missing the uh, the credo. 
um, which this one is. Um, and uh, the, the movements are usually pretty short. The Kyrie, Kyrie Eleison, Lord Have Mercy, um, features droning fourth intervals. I like a good drone. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the melody in this piece is an appealing modal melody and that's always great too the organ brings a lot of so it's got like a it kind of brings us back into the past when we hear a modal melody in church the organ brings a lot of mystery to the setting beautiful sounds um we hear the full the fourth interval full on at two minutes and 45 seconds towards the end of the piece second uh part gloria gloria in excelsis deo glory to god in the highest um, here the organ features prominently, and this is done mm. as a lively dance with a Stravinskyan sense of irregular meters. Very, very unusual. Um, by the way, a little um, music history from the church. Um, the church, if you listen to those old Renaissance masses, they didn't have much rhythm in them because the church didn't want rhythm in any music played in church because when you heard rhythm you wanted to dance and when you wanted to dance you wanted to do other things you wanted to seduce or things like that and these thoughts weren't welcome in church so they kind of kept them <laughs> away this is very much a 21st century approach here um so hearing the organ in this dancey mode is interesting we don't really yeah. usually hear the organ dance like this or play a dancey rhythm this organ uh, is is huge in this movement. I, I said it huffs yeah. and it puffs. It's just like, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds, uh, you know. And it probably like, could blow the church yeah, down if it, it wanted uh, to. It really gets um, bellowing in this one, yeah. I, I want to make a movie where somebody just plays the like the, the lowest bass pedal at full volume and brings the church down around the organ <laughs> and only the organ is standing, uh, you know. Well, like I, uh, I told you when I listened to this, I sent you... Um, message, you know, this, if you got a subwoofer or you've got your I big did. speakers, yeah. you definitely want to have that going for this because and I did. You yeah. know, organ organ uh, is one of the few instruments. You know, uh, a regular electric bass gets down to around you know forty hertz or so, but organ right. can get down you know below twenty. Uh, it's yeah. that foundation rattling, uh, fundamental tones yeah. there, and this album has some of those on there. Um, so. Yeah, maybe I'll take my house down one day with the, uh, <laughs> by playing this album. We'll have to see. Uh, yeah, the sound, though, is mostly bass-free um, in the dancing part. Yeah. And the, tra yeah. Yeah, the transparency of the recording is great here, too. You can hear through to the end. Uh, the organ sounds far away, like a faraway dance. And at times, the organ will ram down the bass pedal with chords to give you some good chest cavity resonance, <laughs> as Russ was just saying. And the choir itself sounds joyous throughout and solemn, you know, glory in God. Okay, that's an appropriate uh, mood. Okay, joyous. And the solemn in the brief, quiet section after two minutes. Appealing. Good chest cavity rumbling bass right at the end of the movement, too. Third movement. Okay, so we skip the credo in a Misa Brevis, and so we go right to the Sanctus and Benedictus. Um, this goes against convention by being spirited rather than solemn. Although, that that's the uh, booklet note saying that. I remember the Bach Mass in B minor Sanctus as being really joyous, mm. which is, um, you know, I guess in the Baroque year they were just happier. <laughs> everything. <laughs> they thought everything was going to work out. Thank Goodness, they didn't live into the 20th century. They would have been very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, two climbing figures for the trebles are the focus. 
The organ features prominently in both inner movements. And uh, no, okay, it starts with the organ playing kind of appoggiatura type chords that resolve upwards to the main chord. Uh, rather mysterious in the quieter middle part, and the appoggiatories come back at the end in the Osana in Excelsis text. Fourth uh, and final movement, Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God, features um, droning fourth intervals. We heard a lot of these. I guess this is the thing with Jonathan Dove, huh? <laughs> Which resolves to the more familiar and consonant fifth at the end. Uh, the fourths and glassy chords in the upper register of the organ are very appealing. Excellent composing by Dove. He had my ear all the way through all of his works, really. Yeah. Uh, he gets a lot out of the instrument. Uh, for the most part, the choir's harmonies are more straightforward, though there are creative touches there, too. Uh, this setting of the Agnus Dei is rather solemn and candlelit. Okay, the last of the Jonathan Dove pieces is called They Will Rise from 2018. This was written for the 100th anniversary of the Royal Air Force, so They Will Rise is kind of a good uh, yeah. analogy. Yeah. It turns out that Jonathan Dove's uncle, Desmond Downer, was a rear gunner in the Lancaster Bombers, and he was lost in action in the Second World War. Mm. So this anthem is dedicated to him. Uh, the text was taken from Isaiah 40:31. The choral textures and undulations of the accompaniment provide a glimpse of the vastness of the heavens, I guess from an airplane. Mm. Uh, creative setting with the organ accompaniment and the choral textures with the organ supporting them make up a totally appealing sound. I really enjoyed this as well. Jonathan Dove. We'll have to hear more of him. Next, we get to our second composer, Judith Weir. Um, her first piece is The True Light from 2018. Incidentally, she was born in 1954, so she's slightly older than Jonathan Dove and uh, older than us, too. Anyway. 2018 for The True Light. Uh, the words are from John's Gospel and Psalm 107. There's a solemn opening and recollection of the First World War, uh, whose end of this piece was commissioned to commemorate. And there's a contrasting section in John's words return. So there's a simple beginning with the organ playing figures, followed by a pause in which a note is held. The bass voices start the choral singing. I love the chords the boys are singing in this. The middle mm. section is a little livelier, with the boys' voices featuring prominently men's are supporting. The organ gets some dancey rhythms to play in its figures here, and the long organ interlude leads back to the John text. Next piece, His Mercy Endureth Forever from 2015. Again, Judith Weir. This was commissioned by Her Majesty's Government and the Dean and Chapter of Westminster to mark the 70th anniversary of VE Day. And it's in two parts. Um, so it begins with um, the text drawn from Psalm 136, built on pedal points, always a nice thing, and totally based around G. And then it, uh, there's a D toward the E flat at the work center. And E flat forms the foundation of the second section. Um, there's some nice swooping choral patterns in the first section. Um, we hear the E-flat key take hold on the line Eternal God, in whose kingdom no sword is drawn. Uh, lots of pedals on the organ here, providing mighty bass. Mm. That's the kind of bass I like. Mighty bass. All right. Last Judith Weir piece is called Truly I Tell You from 2014, and this is in ternary form. Um, boy, there's a long booklet note for this that I wrote down. Uh, the first part is taken from verses 4 to 9 of Psalm 8. 
It has rising figurations in the organ accompaniment. Starts in E flat major, but we arrive at G major. So these, she seems to like this key. Um, the key which underpins the largely homophonic gestures of the choir. Uh, the text here is taken from Mark 10.15. By the way, when we say homophonic, we mean that there's one main melody and the rest are accompanying. The rest of the harmony accompanies that. Um, and the key reverts to E-flat major again in a more restrained manner for trebles and tenors. Okay, and it goes on. I will say that this piece has a nice triplet patterns in the vocal line at the beginning. Uh, the Truly I Tell You section is introduced by a heavenly and interestingly timbred organ pattern played melodically without chords. The third section, I Will Bless the Lord, reintroduces organ chords, and the harmonic blend of choral singing and organ is warm and appealing. Okay, our last composer, Matthew Martin, who was born in 1976, the youngest one here. We're older than him. Mm -hmm. Sigh. Anyway. In the Midst of Thy Temple, written in 2019, um, let's see, this starts with uh, powerful roiling organ chords that quieten for the choir to start. Uh, the text alternates between Latin and English in this piece. The opening and closing sections are Latin, and the middle two verses are English. Each verse gets a different musical profile. There's a dissonance in the organ providing momentum for the choral singing, and the organ has fanfare-like motifs played softly like an army preparing to blast out a fanfare. The English sections are far more energetic in both the organ's excitable rhythms and the choir's enthusiastic delivery. And the third section is more chordal and rock-like. I guess the word would be marmorial, okay? <laughs> while the closing sec Latin section quietens down again as the organ provides us with glimpses of the cold edges of the universe with its kind of twinkling sounds. That's mm. kind of a something I remember hearing in Messiaen a lot, hearing it here, mm. um, without Messiaen's odd harmonies. Okay, Matthew Martin again, the Westminster service. This is kind of a traditional thing where you'll set the uh, Magnificat. Um, the Magnificat is... is um, Magn means magnify. My soul doth magnify the Lord. It's the uh, the prayer that Mary supposedly spontaneously sings after Gabriel announces that she was going to give birth to Jesus. Um, and and then the Nunc Dimittis. The Nunc Dimittis is kind of a parallel to that. Um, this is from uh, Luke, Luke's Gospel, and it's when Simeon, um, who was promised he, when Jesus is brought to the temple as a baby and Simeon who was, who was promised he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. Um, finally sees the baby Jesus recognizes him as the Messiah and says the prayer, Nunc Dimittis, now let your servant depart in peace. Beautiful. Anyway, it's been set many, many times, both of these together, a pairing known as the Westminster service. Um, well, it's set from Westminster. That's why it's called that. Um, Martin's um, Magnificat opens with an, the organ playing some unanchored chords while the boys' voices reach their highest register. The middle quietens and allows us to hear the beauty of the boys' angelic voices. This ends on a kind of natural fade. And uh, for the Nunc Dimittis, the organ notes sound like individual glowing lights. I really liked the effect. The boys sing a monophonic melody. Monophonic means that they're all singing the same note or the same melody, or they could be singing in octaves too. It's a lovely setting. Um, this prayer has always moved me. It's from Luke's Gospel. And I explained what this is, Simeon again. Okay. Um, 
The music ends again on a natural fade. By the way, monophonic singing is what you hear when you go to a soccer or football match. So you might want to pull out that word if you really want to be uh, beaten up by your friends. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed the monophonic singing of the uh, people in the bleachers. The hooligans? The hooligans, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was very uh, monophonic. Not an insult. Mm. That's just what it is. It's everybody singing the same note. Okay. <laughs> but people will think, but people will nevertheless be insulted by it. Okay. As I as I ponder that further. Okay. Next, Matthew Martin again. Citivit anima mea. Uh, my soul thirsts. This is from two thousand two. This is a setting of Psalm forty two. It's a cappella with some intriguing bass from the men. This sounds like it's Mm. entirely the men's choir. Um, It's mostly chord-based from the beginning, but once we hear the words in Latin, fuerent mihi lacrime, my tears have been for me, um, the melody starts streaming like tears. It's actually really a pretty effect. Mm. Yeah, the layers. They just move through it. It's pretty cool. little tone painting there. The music quietens and slows as the first line is repeated with many repetitions of the title. A satisfying resolve. Good setting. Next, O Audience, 2012. Um, the melody for this is, um, we know as O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as the, uh, the um, Christmas song. Hmm. Um, it's uh, haunting harmonies here and a slower approach to the famous melody. I imagine this is a later verse than the one we usually hear at Christmas. I think this is... Um, hmm. Yeah, just one of the later... I didn't really look it up, but one of the later verses. Um, moving and enjoyable. Actually, it probably says what it is in the in the booklet. <laughs> I don't think I got this far. The first verse is English, the second in Latin, and uh, some pleasingly ear-twisting passing harmonies can be heard in the repeat of the English words. Mm. The Latin section is far more solemn and mysterious. Um, there are powerful organ chords and they provide the light asked for in the text midway through. The rejoice, rejoice line is repeated in English mm. as a refrain throughout, and I really enjoyed that um, that sort of technique of hearing that word It's like a whirlwind rejoice. of voices that come through. Yeah. And then the organ just thunders in uh, after that rejoice uh, kind of. Uh, All right. Powerful so. organ chords. Yeah. Um, and not only that, it, the familiar melody will kind of right. you know, hook your ear immediately in. Cause, da, 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 da. Yeah, that yeah. cadence that's in there. Yeah. It's a real catching yeah. thing in the, in the way the melody moves. Yeah. Finally, Behold Now, Praise the Lord from 2015. This is a setting of Psalm 134. Um, it has scattered lines between the men and the boys ringing out as the praise demanded of the text. Well, they are the praise demanded of the text, I guess. The organ gets involved in the praise with some nice interjections into the third line. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. The piece ends with something sounding like the organ breaking. Uh, the last chord, you remember this? Yeah. This is the, the last one, chord. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, uh, this one scares you into the fear of the <laughs> Lord because um, it's a very uh, intense piece. Okay. Yeah, and then... the. The voice, it's interesting because the voices sort of mellow out and you think, you know, you're going to have this peaceful ending. And then the organ is actually terrifying here. Yeah, it uh, is. It is yeah. And it comes in and what 
the image I get from this is like a bomber that's coming in on its final approach and you're going to get, you know, blown to oblivion. Uh, it's mm. just, you know, the, the, the tone of the organ just expands and fills the entire space. And, uh, you know, it's the, the presence of the Lord has overtaken you. And, uh, it's pretty, yeah. pretty fearful. This, uh, ending. Yeah. Yeah. No, that the last chord is a, pretty dissonant sounding yeah, chord yeah. and then it's let go of quickly uh, mm-hmm. to get like quick this release. kind of effect yeah. yeah quick release it's an odd way to end the program I thought but mm-hmm. uh, I had to listen to something else after this so I wouldn't yeah. have bad dreams You'd at be night. disturbed yeah <laughs> but it was really yeah. a good album all the way through if you like choral music I mean you it really behooves you to hear this because it's it's they're new choral compositions it'll give you like a good understanding what's mm-hmm. happening in English choral music today. These are three major players in that field. Uh, I wish people could just stream this and listen to it. There's nice bass from the organ throughout and a rich sound, a good good sounding recording as well. Yeah, the organ is uh, almighty and impressive and it, it brings that weight and almost a religious experience listening to it. If you have a good system or at least good headphones, uh, you'll capture, you know, the awesome dynamic power and uh, frequency awesome range. Yeah. Power. But yeah, <laughs> in contrast to that, the uh, through all these composers, the way that they use the arranging of voices, I found very unique. Uh, whereas you have the stratospheric boys' voices uh, way up high, and at you know the same time, you'll have a male adult voice uh, and the interval space is huge and so you have these two lines working uh, in these different registers and then the layers and uh, these other techniques uh, like we were saying these uh, kind of uh, whirlwind effects of voice layers coming over each other I'm not a huge choral music uh, listener myself but I was uh, thoroughly engaged and uh, impressed. And this is very modern music. And, you know, there's some level of uh, dissonance inside of it. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty easy listen to. And uh, mostly the uh, harmony is easy to follow. And uh, I think, you know, anyone who likes uh, vocal music or looking for something that's... Uh, Know, has a message in it as well and uh the, the organ is just awesome uh <laughs> in its power yeah. too so yeah i was engaged right straight through to the end hmm. all right and there we go for yeah. our your classical music for this week a lot of variety there uh yeah. in uh instrumentation style variety and everything yeah. yeah we go from baroque to uh just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right now today. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is it jazz time? I think it is. Um, yeah. Always got to end with yesterday. <laughs> Music from yesterday. Yeah. So this week's uh, jazz picks, we're going to be all in the piano realm here. And, uh, oh yeah, it, we are. Oh. It sort of, uh, pulled out. I picked pieces that I had just uh, listened to briefly and highlighted as being something interesting, but a theme emerged from that, which I think is some kind of, uh, I don't want to say if it's exotic, it's uh, ethnic infusion 
uh, into jazz. And to me, I think this is um, one of the things I really like uh, most about how jazz is developing. And it's also one of the things that I look for using streaming and having access to all this kind of new music. Yeah. Um, so a lot of interesting jazz out there. Yeah, what I mean is, you know, jazz has always been kind of a sponge. I mean, jazz mm. started as this sort of fusion of African rhythms and sort of, you know, things that are a little bit foreign to the uh, development of Western music, blue notes and uh, uh, different kinds of uh, African rhythms and things. And then put in your, uh, you know, Western harmony and melodic development and you get that in a mix in uh, the United States and you get a new music form that evolves but you know it sort of absorbs all of the kind of uh, Tin Pan Alley and uh, songwriting of early pop music in the 20th century uh, you know well starting you know Gershwin in addition to being a classical composer was a great song composer and then all the I other think, great I think he was more of a song composer first he just kind of made yeah. his way to um, classical music yeah and then all the other great songwriters uh, who wrote for the musicals but right from the beginning jazz was absorbing new things with Afro-Cuban rhythms uh, brought in in the 40s uh, later Brazilian rhythms then Indian music uh, yeah. with the influence of modal jazz but I think yeah. you can still see Jazz. And get Arab modes too, which we really love today. Yeah, and we're going to see some yeah. of that tonight. Uh, and if we look at mm. how jazz is got little scenes around the world and getting players from different cultures, we'll find players bringing their own sort of uh, background of their own ethnic music into uh, the modern jazz scene. And that's what we have tonight. And we've mm. got uh, three very different uh kinds of infusions here and we're going to start out with it's like uh, tea it's like an infusion <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah it's an infusion a blood not transfusion but infusion infusion uh, here so we're going to start with an interesting infusion here from Tunisia with the Wajdi Riahi trio a Tunisian young uh, piano player I think he's only 26 years old but uh, he's got some interesting stuff going on here. Uh, this is on the Fresh Sound New Talent release. Came out in February. Uh, Mamdea is the title. And so we've got Wajdi Riahi on piano, uh, Basil Rahola on bass, and Pierre Herty on drums. Now, uh, Riahi comes from uh, Tunisia where he's... Uh, been involved with the uh, Tunis Jazz Club, uh, and uh, he's got a background in Arabic music as well, but uh, he got into uh, jazz uh, playing in the uh, Hard Bop Project in 2015 uh, with his first jazz concert and uh, uh, others, members of the Tunis Jazz Club. Uh, he's uh, now, I believe, active in Belgium. And uh, there he's uh, got a few other uh, releases out with other combinations of players as well uh, and created a project of his own uh, called North Africa that he won a few prizes for. And uh, he also took part in some uh, study with uh, Barry Harris uh, in Italy, so getting uh, more of a 
American uh, mainstream background uh, infusion in his own playing as well. And now he's uh, studying at the Royal Conservatory of Brussels uh, at the present time. And uh, that's where he's active with his trio now. Uh, so this is very kind of... Uh, unique sounding recording here and uh, he won let's see his trio uh, won the 19 or 2021 young jazz talent competition at the Dinant Jazz Festival so he's getting some attention for his playing here and uh, this release I found quite appealing so uh, did I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got all original compositions except uh, what well, I guess uh one main piece and a, and another uh, exposition on that by Henry Mancini. Uh, oh, yeah. You probably can guess what the tune is already. It's mm -hmm. jazz standard in a way. Anyway, we'll start out this uh, recording with an original one, uh, Mansouris. Uh, this one uh, begins with almost a waltzing theme on the piano that the bass joins in. Uh, drums come in here. And uh, the, the bass... Uh, has a kind of melodic solo that gets going, light textures behind it on piano by Riahi. Uh, the piano and drums join back in uh, for some more rhythmic variations on this theme. And it comes to a pause midway uh, for Riahi to start some piano improvisations uh, with nice bass uh, interjections by Rahola. Here you'll get a taste right from the first track of uh, Riahi's kind of unique approach. It's a very speedy technique, uh, and he builds up intensity uh, with some nice interplay, bringing things back down soft, uh, and then into a vamping pattern uh, for Herdy to do some drum work over, uh, and they build the intensity up for another stretch. And then they reset uh, to the beginning uh, piano and bass theme for a soft ending. Uh, so it's kind of a theme that goes through this album. Lots of the songs sort of um, move through different developments and then they sort of reset and get built up and taken on little journeys uh, with different mm -hmm. motifs and things. Uh, so I thought it's this is a way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It's... A lot of different flows of rhythms and feels within one uh, tune. And most of the tracks are pretty long. This one's over nine minutes here. Yeah. So. Uh, I but I know they, they never tired me out though. There's a lot of space, but there's a lot of ideas as well. And I was yeah. kind of he seems to be really bursting, taking, bursting um, with interesting ideas. Uh, track two is another original called "Back Home." Uh, this one begins with a haunting eight-note bass ostinato line, uh, over which Riahi uh, adds pretty and sad minor kind of modal figures on the piano. Uh, a new bass groove emerges. And it shifts back uh, to the original feeling. But yeah, he gets a swinging feel into the piano figures uh, when the drums kick up uh, in the tune. It slows again into a new groove, and uh, yeah, he has a solo, finding uh, kind of blues-tinged uh, ideas uh, mixed with some other concepts. And then a new kind of samba feel almost groove is born inside of that. Uh, Riahi gets uh, very rhythmic in his ideas, some very impressive rapid lines and percussive playing. Uh, Herdy gets a drum solo, uh, and that uh, leads back to the earlier groove over the ostinato and a final softer section. Again, 
this is a song that flows through very many rhythmic feels and grooves and transforms. Uh, so it's very kind of, uh, can I say, uh, flexibly shaped uh, in the kind of uh, rhythmic grooves and places that it goes, much like the first one. Uh, so yeah, very interesting. I, I think the programming here is pretty interesting, too, because these first two tracks were probably my favorite, too. Hmm. And I, it, this really pulled me in for the rest. Was, right. I, um, so if you want to sample, you can go for the first two tracks. They're both pretty long as well. So, yeah, this one's over you know, almost seven keep, minutes as well. You, it'll get you in it, yeah. Now we're going to get uh, track three, the first of uh, two versions of Moon River uh, by Henry Mancini. Uh, and this first one is a solo piano version. And uh, this is really long, almost nine yeah. and a half minutes. Uh, <laughs> but it's quite interesting. Uh, he begins it with a completely original intro. Uh, and you won't know what the tune is, but he does throw in a few snippets of the melody uh, so you can recognize uh, the famous Moon River melody. Uh, and then he makes a new exposition uh, around a cycle of chords that aren't really in the tune. Right. Uh, so yeah, it he really goes off. He takes it off for like a little looping detour. Uh, goes around that for a while. Uh, there's a beat under which uh, maybe a foot stomp uh, or something. Uh, it's a, He's just playing piano, but you can hear a, a kind of uh, uh, rhythmic pulse in there. Uh, he may be just doing that himself. Uh, now he finally presents the tune uh, with some nice counter melody lines and very dainty or daintily played speedy ornaments. It's kind of a uh, signature of his style. He likes to do these little like appoggiatura or uh, turnaround things very light and quick uh, when he solos uh, and he adds them to the melody here. Uh, so these light and speedy figures seem to be a marker of his style. Uh, after that melody, he gets into another kind of repeating progression of chords. Uh, that create more tension. These have a little bit more dissonance uh, and he expands his improvisation over that. He goes on exploring for a while, which he ties back into the melody. Uh, there's a pause of the rhythmic motion. Then he works some longer sustained notes uh, and chords into there. Uh, he picks up the motion again for a final melody segment to the end. Uh, it's quite long, uh, but I thought it was uh, enchanting and creative and he has a lot of enthusiasm uh, here. Uh, so he, he obviously loves this melody, so he's uh, also worked in some original sort of diversions into it. Another thing about him is that he seems to have a, a good sense of form, whereas he, he's not like playing, say, like 16 bars of chords, like he'll kind of shape the piece in one thing and then he'll have a contrasting section. Right. It'll come back at the end. So he seems to like this ternary form that's yeah. used a lot in classical music. Yeah. I noticed that in all three of these pieces so far, actually. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so in he, yeah, he's conscious of always returning to the theme uh, in some form before he takes it into a different section. So uh, it, it's very accessible. Hey, by the way, do you think you can, you know, he combines a lot of things, and this had me thinking, this, it put me in this weird state of mind where I was thinking, you know the song Blue Moon, right? Blue yeah. Moon. Yeah, sure. I wonder if you could combine Blue Moon and Blue River, Moon River, and call it Blue Moon River. That's a good idea. We yeah. should try it one day. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. First, I'll see if anyone's Blue done it. Blue Moon then... River. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. Actually, someone once sent me a clip of all songs about the moon, 
And it was yeah. like a name that tune game. I think there was yeah. like 30 songs in there or something. Uh, There's a lot of songs about the moon. And you lost uh, an entire decade of your life listening to <laughs> listening them all, right? To it, yeah. <laughs> I knew most of them. Uh, track four, Wait, Friends. It would take about 10 years to listen to them all, I think. <laughs> uh, track four is Friends But Brothers. Uh, and we have a guest, uh, Belgian trumpeter Jean-Paul Estevenard. <coughs> Excuse me. On trumpet. Uh, it begins with a one-note bass line uh, joined by piano with shifting chords uh, that keep the pulse. The trumpet joins in unison on a melody with the piano, uh, and Hurdy works up a Latin-y kind of beat here. Uh, yeah, he has some nice fills between the lines. Uh, he mm. takes a short solo line before trumpet has a leisurely solo uh, over the ever-pulsing bass. And uh, rather than going on longer solos, the piano and trumpet continue to trade solos again and again, uh, getting more intense as they do because the drums uh, bring up the uh, heaviness in the beat. Uh, and they finally work back to the melody for a final uh, go around. Uh, so th this one has this kind of constant pulse to it that uh, carries it through. And it's nice to have a little uh, uh, breakup of the trio with uh, the trumpet on this one. Uh, now... Track five, we're going to go back to Moon River, <laughs> and this is yeah. the trio version. Um, as just a short intro before getting into the melody. Uh, it's a nice rubato of just piano and bass to start. Uh, the drums join in, but the beat stays floating. And uh, there's some reason why this feels uh, a little unusual. So the first time I listened to it, I was, you know, I think I was having a whiskey or something at night and just listening, not analyzing. I said, well, this is something different. I'm going to listen to it again. So if you listen to this carefully, uh, the original tune is in 3-4, right? But what they've done is uh, oh, they've... That's funny. I was wondering about this myself because I was like, okay. it kind of sounds like three, but there's kind of now, four or something. I don't know what they do. They've stretched this out and transformed it into a five-beat Oh, I see. Per okay. measure, uh, which completely changes the feel of the yeah, tune. Yeah, I was having trouble counting it, actually. Yeah, it's, kinda, uh, it's hard because yeah. it's, it's still kind of uh, rubato and flowing, uh, but there's actually five beats here. Um, well, we talked about a tune last week. Uh, what was it? It was that Burt Bacharach tune. Uh, mm. um, what the world needs now. No, right? It has that kind of it's hokey. Four, four. It's yeah. normally 3-4 with that hokey. Right. Da, 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 you know, that 70s kind of thing. Um, that was the one when you insulted Dion Warwick. <laughs> did I did I do that? Um, no, I just I, I don't know. If I think just, I praised. I, I think I'm being a bit. Yeah, I, I, I thought severe. I was I was praising Aretha Franklin, but uh, in you any did case, praise Aretha yeah, Franklin. Okay. I remember that. Um, anyway, yeah. that that was stretched out into four four, which changed the tune. And here we're getting something stretched even more than that. Uh, but it's kind of a really cool effect. Uh, and especially because we just heard it in that solo exposition. Uh, here, there's a nice gentle bass solo, too, that gets into some high tone register uh, niceties. Uh, they get back to the uh, melody that swells in volume, but it stays free falling, flowing and softens to the end. So I thought it's kind of a creative take, especially a messing with the meter of this song. Uh, and it's a, you know, when you have a tune that everybody knows, well, uh, you're going to get unexpected results uh, in a good way here. Track six, hmm. Hymn to Fazeni. And here we've got uh, the Tunisian uh, oud player, Akram Ben 
Romdan, who I think is mainly a, a violinist, uh, but sounds awesome on oud here. Uh, and it starts out with the oud on its own, uh, and then uh, it shifts to the trio, uh, which develops kind of a six-beat theme with a pulsing bass beat. And then the piano and oud play the melody in unison. Uh, listen closely, because the oud is... Is, it doesn't have a big tone, so when the whole trio is playing, but you'll hear that it's working together with the piano. Uh, then the piano and oud again trade solo phrases for a while, uh, building up intensity as they go. Uh, there's a percussion solo breakdown with some extra hand drums uh, thrown in uh, in the mix here too, along with the drum kit. They rest. The, uh, the rest comes down back in uh, intensely after the. Uh, percussion solo section but they bring it down soft go through the unison melody again ending with repeated chasing phrases on oud and piano uh it's a really nice uh, tunisian touch uh for this mm. tune i thought yeah. yeah some modal stuff the happening and, good sound uh, nice reminded melodies. me a little of anwar brahim yeah. yeah yeah uh next one improbable uh Pretty and sparse piano solo piece here. Uh, Riahi keeps it rubato with occasional peppered ornaments. This one shows off his sense of touch. Uh, nice attention to dynamics. Sometimes the chords get more lush and an intensity builds up, but then he pulls it back. Uh, it's like he never lets himself get uh, you know, too overly expressive. Uh, but I thought it was very lovely and restrained uh, playing. Hmm. Uh, track eight, uh, piano in the house. Uh, this one's interesting. Uh, I cheated on this because he's doing something interesting at the beginning. You can find the video on YouTube. He starts with some short staccato figures, uh, which the tone changes over, and I figure he's doing something with the piano. Uh, so I what he's actually he has his hand in the piano. Yeah, he's no, putting he's his doing? hand on this, his left hands on the I strings, so. yeah. getting a special muted effect. Uh, this develops into a kind of hypnotic modal groove uh, that the bass joins in. Uh, there's a contrasting section after that that moves through some progressions in a more legato way. Uh, Riahi shows some rapid fire figures and expanded harmonic ideas uh, outside of the mode uh, in his improvisations. Midway through, the drums have some free fills and the tempo drops away. Uh, things slowly build again. Uh, there's an unexpected little pause, but then a heavier groove takes shape over driving bass and drums. Uh, then Riahi lets loose on some uh, more ideas uh, in his solo. Uh, they reset once more, softer to build up the theme uh, to the end. Uh, it's a very rhythmic and intense piece, uh, kind of cool in its construction. Mm. And then we end with the uh, title track, Mom Dea. This begins with a dreamy and slow intro over drum fills. Uh, a melody forms slowly through time on this one. Riahi finds some bluesy ideas uh, and other intense swells in his playing. Uh, the trio really breathes as one. Uh, it shows a nice uh, synchronicity that they're able to sort of uh, breathe with this music. It's it's really like a, a swelling breath. Uh, there's some vocalization section. Uh, I don't have the album notes, but I'm assuming this is Riahi uh, himself uh, doing no, that. I, I kind of figure it's his album. It yeah. must be him. Right? Uh, and then there's a nice bass solo uh, 
De ahí a some more piano time with dancing phrases, and the drums expand uh, behind uh, his playing. It quiets again for a final vocalization section uh, to the end. Uh, it's a very un unique effect with this sort of um, almost mystical kind of vocal uh, added on top of it. Uh, so I enjoyed this recording a lot. I think uh, Riahi has included some nice Tunisian touches. He shows some interesting character in his style with these really quick and light ornaments that he likes to add. Uh, there's a lot of variety in the material. The trio here plays really well in sync with each other. Uh, they're listening very carefully, adapting to each other, and they can sort of swell uh, tempos, rubato. They can move through these different kinds of sections that change a lot on the first two tunes especially. Uh, I really recommend this. It's an exciting listen, and I think he's a young pianist uh, to watch out for in the future. Yeah, it'll probably only get better as um, albums go on, but there's nothing wrong with this. He mm. has a real like French feel for harmony and tone color and touch, yeah. and I really liked that. I, I'm always listening. That's one of my favorite things in music, what the French have done with right. you know, touch and you know, tone color and things like that. And whenever I hear it, I'm just always entranced. Mm. Uh, lots of ideas and some really lovely ones, too. Yeah, I like this a lot. That was yeah. really good. This is a good pick. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Definitely. this is my favorite jazz record of the week oh, okay, that good. you picked. So that was the one I liked the most. Now, the next one... And, and it almost didn't make the cut, did it? <laughs> well, actually, yeah. We had another yeah. fabulous recording uh, that uh, turned out to have been a re-release. It wasn't widely available uh, when it yeah, came out in well 2014. Is, yeah. And uh, it jumped labels. And then uh, I thought it was new, but it wasn't. Uh, so... Mm. Um, we may as well tell him what it was. Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember the exact title now. So uh, yeah, because we yeah, didn't maybe do I'll it, so it again. Kind of... Yeah, okay. but uh, anyway, with um, you know the way things are now, some things come out on small labels and then they never make it to streaming. And this was mm -hmm. uh, one of those. And then uh, I think he probably had an he changed labels and they picked up this older release and, uh, and then it was on there. Uh, and then it was, you know, looked as if it was brand new and it actually wasn't. Uh, so I. Sort yeah, of stuck I'm with our I'm frantically trying to come up with it now while you're talking. About yeah, uh, well, now that we mentioned it, we can let the it's readers know. It's a Bayati by uh, Shaheen Novrasli. Yeah. Novrasil, I can't see this. God. Yeah. Novrasli. Uh, yeah, you definitely want to check Bayati. that out, uh, yeah. too. Uh, there's a, a pianist with some really awesome technique. Uh, I forget. I don't know if I have the album label details here. Um, um, no. Yeah. Album label. It doesn't say on, um, on Deezer here. I'm kind of surprised. Oh, eight islands records. Yeah. Eight islands records. That's a new, yeah. a new label. Yeah. Um, so, mm. um, but, uh, yeah. Beati, check it out. Um, uh, some awesome, uh, piano technique you're going to hear on that. Um, but it was recorded in 2014. So yeah, Anyway, yeah. uh, the second album here, I think you're not so keen on. Um, but, oh, I was uh, talking about this earlier <laughs> in the week, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, going to cross over to Scotland uh, for Fergus McReady's uh, new release on Edition Records, Forced Floor. Now, and, I had, and I got to tell you right away, the the title put me off. Oh, okay, too. you know, just because it's like, oh, we're gonna go into the woods now. Yeah, you know, if it was about the beach. I would have liked it. I think. Ah, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the woods, hence our hiking discussion I, I, last week. I have week, this yeah. thing about hiking. I don't yeah. like hiking. I don't yeah. know. And I don't think you like kind of themed jazz things. Uh, sweets well, it depends. I don't like oh, sweets, okay. but okay. it depends. I don't know. Right. Anyway, um, yeah. uh, McCready. There's something else about this I did. I'll get into it. It's, okay. it's, it's good. I don't want to like, you know, the, the performances mm. are all fantastic, but it's just something about it that I personally, that kind of rubs me personally the wrong way. I'll get into it when we get right. there. Anyway, yeah. uh, McCready got a lot of attention uh, last year uh, with his release, uh, Cairn, uh, January 2021. Uh, it caught some attention uh, internationally uh, and it's coming out of the kind of expanding UK jazz scene now. And so yeah, this, I, think it, um, I think it made some of the year-end lists too, right. like Presto's or um, right. the other one, the other British magazine. Um Oh, I can't remember the name. Mm. <laughs> I'm really yeah. in bad shape. Today. And they they tend to focus, you know, uh, yeah, on UK releases. And uh, I right. remember reading about it, but I hadn't heard the the other ones. Jazz so thought, wise, that's it. Jazz yeah, jazz wise. wise. So yeah. okay, I'll check this out now. Uh, forest floor. So this is um, supposedly working on similar kind of characteristics uh, of the uh, previous release, uh, emphasizing, and this is what kind of drew me to it, the Scottish folk influences yeah, uh, that remain that. Uh, central to the trio's sound. So I thought, okay, that's going to go along uh, with this theme uh, really well. And uh, so I thought I'd check it out. And so we've got the uh, McCready's trio here with him on piano, David Bowden on bass and... Uh, uh, Stephen Henderson on drums and uh, starts out with a tune. Uh, <laughs> this was going to really hammer you uh, from the beginning. It, it, uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, Law Hill. Uh, the yeah. drum lead into a a fast tempo of chiming modal chords. Uh, McCready starts it out with rhythmic playing along with the modal melody, uh, but he brings it down soft a bit before repeating the melody and launching into a huge exposition on that. He rips into rapid figures and <laughs> runs... Say soft. Where is this soft? <laughs> well, just for a second. Uh, okay. Just, yeah, there's a little, like, uh, inhale... I must have blinked at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little inhale uh, before he uh, goes into this uh, rapid uh, figures and runs over the really busy drumming of Henderson. Mm -hmm. Uh the piano is panned. This is the other strange thing about this uh, release. It's uh, piano is panned strongly with the high notes in the left channel and the low notes in the right. So yeah, you, you get too. this giant keyboard effect. Uh, this tune explodes with energy. Uh, it yeah. comes down again, and the drums and bass drop out for a bit. Uh, bass and piano, left hand establish uh, an kind of inventive bass line that cycles around, giving Henderson uh, some more drum uh, expression time. And then McCready builds over the line with chords and swirling lines as they charge uh, to the end. Uh, this is full-on explosive uh, opening tune. Yeah, I want to say mention the the, the the whole sound of the ensemble. This is going to be true for the whole album, but I noticed this right away. Like the the piano at the opening, like he's playing whatever his range is. It's like he's taking up every millimeter of the frequency spectrum that he's playing in. There's like <laughs> no, there's no kind of you can't hear through to the back. You know what I mean? Because mm. it's almost like he puts up this this um, piano. Uh, wall. curtain yeah. <laughs> wall that you just can't 
Yeah, mm. he can't see. There are no chinks in it. He just can't <laughs> hear through to the back. Yeah, it's a big wall of sound for sure. It's it's kind of like ACDC on the piano. It's, <laughs> it just takes up everything. Yeah, it's pretty full. Um, and he, um, yeah, he um, has a lot of interesting ideas, I heard, but I feel like he was just trying to cram them all in into the same solo. And at the end, I was kind of like, just feel it. I was exhausted after this yeah. first track, to be There's honest. There's no restraint at all in, yeah. the, in the first one. It's a full explosion, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think, well, there well, you go. Yeah. There's some there's some different things uh, coming up here. Uh, the second track, the unfurled field. Uh, this one has a folk melody melody quality uh, that moves along in a steady four beat. Bowden's bass line gives it motion with light drumming from Henderson. And McCready works around the melody, adding nice ornaments. Uh, Bowden takes a happy sounding melodic bass solo here, and McCready starts his solo softly and spaciously. Uh, he's getting some sustain on repeated folky figures, adding, adding answering lower lines in the left hand. Uh, Henderson works up the intensity underneath on the snare drum as McCready creates a chiming wall of sound uh, working into some cascading runs. There's a little break for the bass to carry the melody, and then McCready gets some more uh, improv time overdriving rockish beat from Henderson. Then it gets soft for a bit and returns to the original feel for a final run through uh, the melody and slow down for the end. So you'll really pick up the folkish quality uh, to some of the material in this tune. Track three, Morning Moon. Uh, this one is a, kind of unique. Uh, it's got some repeating piano arpeggios and light chiming notes that make an intro into the kind of pretty pentatonic melody here. Uh, McCready shows off m his most delicate kind of touch on this one. Uh, Bowden adds some matching sensitive bass lines and some string rubbing effects. Uh, very light drum textures from Henderson here. Uh, it becomes kind of trance-like. McCready gets into some dreamy figures, runs, and trills, and it comes back down for another simply stated run through the melody, uh, getting lighter and softer as it goes. Yeah. It was atmospheric, I thought. Yeah, this one. atmospheric. Yeah. Uh, track four, <laughs> this is another pretty intense one, Landslide. Um, it's got a drum intro that works into a beat. Uh, McCready enters with a busy ostinato left hand in nine eighths uh, that build and then builds a melody over that uh, the bass has a simpler matching line uh, so it, it goes along with the piano but it's not uh, into uh, nine separate notes it modulates and then returns but the left hand keeps going in perpetual motion uh, right to the end of this song uh, McCready improvises with contrasting rhythmic figures tension building harmonic ideas fast runs pulsing chords uh, it comes down in volume while the ostinato still goes on until the final note I actually mentioned Philip Glass in my notes here because it did kind of remind me. It didn't sound like Philip Glass, but it's no. the same kind of like uh, generation of um, you know material that Philip mm. Glass uses. You know, so right. it's thickly, it's more thickly scored than Philip Glass, of course. Because right. um, yeah. All right, track five is the title track, Forest Floor. This one's got some freely rolling low piano tones. Uh, that make a bass for McCready to introduce a, a rubato low melody. Bowden adds some soft bass. It pauses to move with the bass and then builds again with more rolling piano and uh, cymbal washes. McCready swells the melody, 
before taking it down once more and then working in step with the bass. Uh, and then McCready ends it softly over a final cymbal and bass tone. Uh, I, I guess he's working on this image of like, a, you know, the forest floor as this kind of expanse of space to work in. Yeah, uh, I, I should mention, so this guy's got like a monstrous technique, though. Yeah, I mean, because he's does, constantly yeah. playing at full volume and he's really... He'll often be playing rhythm against rhythm. It's pretty incredible, yeah. but, I, but I'm just kind of like, oh, <laughs> it's a lot. Stop. Yeah. 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 Uh, next one, The Ridge, track six, soft piano opening with openly voiced chords. Bowden plays the folk-sounding melody on bass with clear, tight articulation. Uh, it's in six-beat phrases. Then uh, McCready takes a turn with the melody. Uh, it's a longing minor kind of uh, theme that shifts uh, to major and then back again. Uh, Bowden returns with an improvised solo, digging into clear attacks. McCready then builds up the production with the sustained uh, arpeggios, runs, and repeated figures, uh, getting into some intense triplet ideas and then chiming out the melody once more. It gets quiet again. It seems as if it's over halfway through the piece, but then McCready keeps it going with a steady beat of chords. The chords develop some kind of syncopation inside them with one of the notes, then a new rhythmic feel develops with a rising three-beat uh, ostinato bass line, uh, and then Henderson's subdivisions. McCready solos over the top with running lines and figures as the beat gets heavier. He chimes out syncopated chords for a bit before it quiets down over the continuing bass uh, line, chiming out some sparse notes, and the bass line loses its first note uh, and comes to a halt. So it's a dun 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 like that kind of thing, you know, so it just breaks up a little bit as it goes on. Um, track seven, then Whitewater. Uh, this one begins with a rubato bass intro, some cymbal washes. Uh, McCready pops in with the drums uh, with a melody and rhythmic accompaniment in a five-beat pattern. Uh, McCready plays some cross-rhythmic rhythm feeling lines, and things are broken up by some cool bass and left-hand piano lines. Uh, Bowden has a tight bass rhythmic uh, solo, and McCready has a solo where the harmonies and rhythms bleed into each other, working into a frenzy uh, with some uh, pretty impressive triplet runs. It settles back down uh, before some more cool bass runs and then takes off on uh, something new with McCready pounding out a repeating uh, low chord figure and then going crazy uh, with his right hand above it. Uh, Henderson feeds the frenzy with intense <laughs> drumming and it ends with a unison triplet line that sounds like something from a Rush song in the 1980s. So. Yeah. <laughs> 1980, it's funny you should say 1980s because do you remember the new age music of the 1980s like you know George Winston and stuff like uh, that? Yeah, yeah. It was really gentle but the, the kind of there was this kind of like the harmony, there wasn't really much harmony in that music, and I kind of had that feeling from this record too. There was there's good melody yeah. and all that, but his hom harmony is kind of like monochromatic, and I actually mentioned that in White Water. Uh -huh. um, I don't know. I feel like I've been hearing the same kind of harmony throughout the album. Like it's very much um, triads and that sort of thing. There aren't a lot of color chords and stuff. You mm -hmm. know how much I like the French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like you know. You know, color tones and such, and we don't get that here. This is really something different. Yeah, it's it's rhythmic mm. and uh, kind of. Uh, it's very rhythmic. Yeah, rhythmic focus. It's, yeah. it's energetic. It's kind of like Jesus, like a 
you know, it's like a tornado. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like I a guess, new age tornado. I, I don't want to, I like this. Um, yeah. It's interesting, but. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, not for me. I don't want to put um, him down because like, I think he's a great player, but I'm not, it's not for I, me. I can see why it catches mm. the attention. Um, well, actually, there's two things you can catch attention with audience uh, mm. with, uh, but the the biggest one is rhythm. Yeah. Right. So, if yeah, that, pl- that did catch my ear. I have to yeah, say, it he does was, catch he your ear. Some pretty monstrous, like rhythm against rhythm things in some of yeah. his solos. So Man. I can see why <laughs> it, it it gets a lot of buzz. Uh, and then we yeah. end up with uh, Glade, track eight. Uh, this is a gentle waltzing piano melody. Uh, left hand accompaniment creates a peaceful mood, slightly impressionistic. Um, in uh, the chord voicings. The bass joins lightly on some beats with a sprinkling of cymbals. McCready improvises gently around the melody and it starts to swell with more rapid figures and runs, but then it comes down in volume and simplifies. It slows once, uh, picks up again before final ending. Uh, So, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, often very intense recording. Uh, there's a lot of Scottish folk influences in the melodies. Um, the focus here is on rhythm and uh, interplay uh, with those rhythms rather than, as Mike said, uh, sort of uh, harmonic uh, explorations and things. So it does have some appeal uh, with the energy that it produces. I can see why it's popular. Uh, McCready has an awesome... His energy, yeah. Yeah, uh, piano yeah. technique. Um, and the kind of appeal in the kind of program that I put together tonight is that uh, the infusion of these kind of Scottish folk melodies uh, has some appeal as a launching point for uh, improvisations. But yeah, I felt you know aside from like I, what I said, like all the you know the the uh, the listening the uh, sound field is like opaque. Like you can't oh, right. hear through to yeah, the yeah. back. It's very it's dense. not transparent. It's very densely packed. Um, and he plays <laughs> really loudly, almost ridiculously loudly for most of the recording. And I just feel like his playing is like lacking in subtlety. And I think that's what I go to jazz for. I like right. to hear subtlety. This is some, that's, you know, this is some know. the kind of antithesis of one of our favorite albums of last year. Uh, what was it? Um, I was thinking of this. Yeah. God, I was like, this is the opposite of, and I can't. I'm trying to think. It wasn't, oh, is it Bill Charlap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill yeah. Charlap's. Okay. Um, yeah. Street of uh, Dreams. Uh, Street of Dreams, which is right. like uh, so yeah, understated. That was spacious and it's unusual for him, in fact. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's so much space to get into the notes. You almost lose track yeah. of what the tempos are and things because he's just creating this kind of space where time stands still and this is the complete antithesis of, yeah this really uh, is the, uh, the, yeah. the evil twin yeah <laughs> well it's um, the opposite it's kind of like yeah. if they ever met the world would end you know, yeah, the, bizarro, the bizarro the bizarro world. piano yeah. world yeah. Yeah. alright um, so anyway we get some uh, Scottish influences there and the final stop on the ethnic piano train tonight is uh Dominica and Republic. Oh, cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, so we're going to have some uh, pronunciation things this is here all like with Spanish. Spanish-like, yeah. I yeah. guess. So I guess uh, we're going to say J's R H is José Jacobo. Jacobo, yeah. Yeah, with uh, Herencia Criola, 
which would mean Creole heritage. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so here we've got uh, his new recording uh, celebrating the uh, kind of... Uh, influences of Afro African rhythms as uh, coming through the uh, Dominican Republic and uh, this is a very interesting recording I thought um, so uh, he's kind of uh, exploring these uh, these rhythms of the uh, Dominican Republic uh, merengue merengue de palo achao bachata Gaga mm. uh, and different kind of traditional Dominican rhythms with a modern jazz sound, and uh, so you're going to get a real Dominican character here, uh, a, f- a strong focus on rhythm in this yeah. album with various rhythms. But uh, Jacobo is a is an awesome pianist uh, with amazing technique uh, and uh, good harmonic uh, development too. So this recording really. Uh, uh, goes in a lot of different directions. So uh, I've got Jacobo on piano, uh, Otoniel Nicholas on drums, uh, Daryl Mendez on uh, bass here. And uh, so we'll start out with the uh, title track. Now, also on these tracks, a little bit uh, a strange thing about this. Album. Well, I want to say it's strange. It, it could be a little bit hard to figure out what's going on. Uh, there's a I guess the notes called an anthropological presentation. There's a short uh, field yeah. recordings of uh, it's usually music, but sometimes it's just like a snippet, even with music in the background uh, at the beginning of the uh, tracks uh, that show the listener the cultural inspiration behind the composition and arrangement yeah. but there's often not m- much to grab on there so yeah, no, uh, some of them are only like... two or three seconds so um, you might not uh, be able to gain much uh, from that yeah. anyway the track uh, first track is the title track uh, Herencia Criolla uh, original tune uh, the snippet here is a little bit longer it's almost 20 seconds long it's uh, drumming and female vocals from a field recording kind of lo-fi quality to it uh, that uh, contrasts uh, once the uh, music starts it it's uh, contrasts in a big way because yeah. this record is or at least these tracks I think it gets a little better as it goes or my ear adjusted but it's very slickly recorded yeah yeah and, good production yeah. well it's yeah. I think it was a little too much but anyway I'll much. get into okay. that in a minute Uh, As the uh, Um, field recording uh, ends, uh, Jacobo starts out this uh, solo on piano uh, with fast left-hand triplet patterns and a melody line uh, added high on the piano. Uh, I feel glass-like, I thought. Yeah, yeah, bass and drum join in. Uh, It's in four beats, but it's got like a 12-8 feel uh, with the triplets. Uh, but there's lots of complex rhythmic interaction uh, going on in the trio. Uh, Jacobo stops with the triplet backing and opens it up for a deep and woody bass solo from uh, Mendez. Uh, Nicholas has nice tight drum clicking in the back, uh, keeping everything tidy. Uh, Jacobo comes back uh, for a piano solo. Without the triplets, it's more free-flowing and rhythmically uh, presented, uh, and Mendez keeps complex bass patterns underneath. Uh, It's an intense piano solo, 
uh, accented attacks and runs. Hakoba brings uh, the triplets back once more and then hammers out chords above before finishing off with both hands uh, joining the triplet pattern. Uh, so all of these songs, it's I've got exhausted myself trying to figure out what's going on because there's so many things yeah. to describe. Uh, you mm-hmm. can just say a constant uh, rhythmic interplay is the hallmark of uh, what's going on here. Yeah, I again the thing I didn't like though is the the, the recording is very very slick. Like I said, because I feel like it takes away, and this might be my punk rock background talking here. And it's it ta- I think it feel like it takes away some of the humanness of the performance. Like you can't really hear the musicians' tones or things like that because it's so uh. it's in this production soup sort of. Mm. Although. As the recording goes on, either I adjust to it or it changes. I'm not really sure. I think it gets a little better as it goes. Okay. Okay. Uh, The next track uh, is a traditional tune arranged by Jacobo into a jazz kind of setting, a San Miguel. So it's a folk tradition, uh, Catholic saint uh, Mm. uh, story here with uh, African rhythms. uh, And they've got the jazz harmony and uh, interplay of uh, the ensemble here. Uh, this one begins with a short five-second uh, field recording. It's kind of percussion and male voice. Um, then the piano introduces the very joyful melody on this one with mm-hmm. drum hits. Uh, Hokobo plays kind of dancing melodic lines above a triplet figure bass uh, and his own left-hand figure that has uh, a two-beat and one-beat uh, kind of pattern. So you've got the the triplet bass, da 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 da, but the piano is da 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 da, so that you know pushes it along. Uh, but the beat is subdivided into three. Uh, there's a two-hand synchronized run uh, that ends in a very ominous-sounding chord, uh, very contrasting to the uh, happy melody. Uh, and then it's back to the happy melody again that ends on a sudden chord uh, that begins a new section, the building ostinato bass line. Uh, to a repeat of the previous uh, two-hand line and the ominous chord again. Uh, then it slows down into a free space for Hokobo to start some relaxed soloing over uh, nice cymbal textures and bass. Uh, a faster tempo forms through the cymbals and the pulsing bass line, uh, pushing Hokobo to a flowing solo of runs and accented chords. Uh, they come back to the theme and the ostinato bass part again ending on that ominous chord. Uh, this one's really exciting with interesting contrasting parts. Uh, so I, I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I noted the uh, complex rhythmic patterns. And again, it starts out, for me, overproduced. But at the end, the tempo suddenly like picks up really at the end. And yeah. um, the, the piano starts soloing seriously. And it's really good. Um, this humanity and breathing in the lines the piano plays. So now I'm starting to kind of get into it a little here. Mm. I do like the music. I like what I'm the, the what they're playing. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, next the next piece I liked a lot, actually. Oh, you like this, this one? This one really picked me uh, up. So track yeah. three is called Dolores. Uh, just a few seconds of recording at the beginning here. It's like a bell and some distant, like, chanting vocals. Hard to make much out of what's going on. Uh, then yeah, it, and the it, piano chords chime kind of like to lead, you know, as though that yeah. kind of, it, it was passed down over, like, the whatever generations into this right. current piano. It was really nice, I thought. So from that uh, field recording, uh, you get a gentle melody that comes in on the piano. It gets echoed in the bass. It's kind of like a uh, question-answer thing. Then the mm-hmm. piano and bass work together 
on a new melody section. Uh, cymbals punctuate some phrases. A new rhythmic feeling develops uh, with the full entrance of the drums. It's like a waltzing 12-8 feeling, but there's some so pauses. Huh? Yeah, okay. pauses after some phrases that break it up. Um, I, I say 12-8 just because there's some kind of, uh, that's the pattern. There's at least four beats in the pattern of the okay. triplets that go through there. Because um, I was hearing each chord with an accent, so I said 3-4. I don't know. I didn't hear that. <laughs> um, what I mean is, so yeah. if, if you listen to the three beats and the the, har the harmonic um, progression, there's four mm -hmm. different arpeggios that I come see. there. Okay. So I, I'm not sure what no, the meter is, but yeah. um, the grouping of the uh, har the of the chords will be. There's four different ones before they go back. So um, then, uh, Jacobo works through the melody with little fills in spaces. Mendez gets a very rhythmic bass solo here that has some unpredictable hesitations. Uh, they create a lot of uh, rhythmic tension because they're sort of placed outside of the beat. Rather than locking into a groove, he creates tension by uh, holding back and uh, playing around with the rhythm. Jacobo gets a solo next. The way he times his phrases here over the loping bass rhythm, also using hesitation, is very intriguing. Uh, mm playing around with with this complex rhythmic uh, thing. It, it's very complex, uh, interesting. He works up to some high trills and chiming chords. The rhythm stops for a bit as Jacobo returns to the original melody sections, and then they fade out over return uh, of the uh, field recording uh, from the beginning of the song. Uh, so complex rhythmic stuff going on here, for sure. Yeah, and very pretty, too. Um... Dolores must have loved this tune. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, very pretty. Almost uh, like Vince Guaraldi has a bit of a look in in here, I feel like. it's It's got that yeah. kind of like waltzing sort of yeah light quality to it. I like this yeah. one. Yeah. Very and I didn't feel like this was overproduced this time. See, that's the oh, thing. Okay. I, I feel like the production is changing somehow. Uh, it could be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, track four. Now, this one, this one is one of the busiest tracks on the <laughs> album. Really... Uh, hard to pin down all the things going on it's called uh, Dos Locos uh, and, and the, the other loco is Miguel Zenon right yeah, um, yeah. Miguel, Miguel Zenon on uh, alto sax who we've heard a number of times in different uh, projects with the uh, Chad Lefkowitz big right. band and uh, some other Latin releases as a yeah, uh, generally artist. a fan of his yeah. yeah and the tune is by Alejandro Martinez uh, there's so much going on here uh, zigzagging left hand. I use that word zigzagging because it's sort of this uh, bass line that cuts across uh, the rhythmic patterns uh, and working with the bass that dart about as Jacobo peppers chords uh, above that in the intro. Uh, then uh, Zenon enters on the melody that's also heard in the right hand of the piano uh, with like two notes. So it's kind of harmonized in the piano with the sax. There's a little transition section into the sax and piano uh, right hand working across the zigzagging bass line uh, that we heard before. Now there's so much going on here, the drums actually drop out for a bit so you can get that sort of crosstown traffic uh, working of these uh, two different things going on. Uh, there's more zigging in the drums as the drums come back and then it's into a solo for uh, Zenon over this really complicated rhythmic <laughs> uh, uh, sort of arterial 
traffic that's going on underneath <laughs> it um, and the syncopations of the bass. Uh, this is going to be hard to solo over, uh, but Zenon holds it together really well. Uh, he gets some passionate, breathy, high register tone things going on, uh, and he ends it up with a little a kind of bluesy flourish at the end. Uh, so it's a very intense uh, bass to uh, blow some improvisation over but he does a good job with it i just want to say about the oh the okay the piano solo was a really well-built solo but i felt like um um zenon's solo was a bit distant in the mix because it's there's all this complicated stuff going on and he feels like he's a little um back and so i agree with you there he sounds too small in this recording yeah, because he'll make some really kind of like ugly, rough sounds to really, mm. you know, kind of affect you. And they don't really, he does that here, but they don't really impact. They don't register as rawly as they normally do when he's up front. So yeah. I was kind of a little bummed out about that. I agree. He sounds, he's, yeah. it doesn't actually sound like the same character as he does on other recordings I've heard him on. Uh, yeah. He's uh, not uh, yeah, He's got a big enough. presence generally, you yeah. know, especially on his own solo recordings. Yeah, after he finishes solos, Jacobo gets uh, one of his own here. He goes through some blazing runs, rhythmic figures. It's quite an impressive piano solo on this one. Yeah, uh, I like this one. It works back into that zigzag again uh, with the piano and sax melody, uh, where Zenon is working with the, the piano again. They groove out over a chord vamp uh, at the end of that this time. Uh, it gives Zenon uh, some more blowing time, and they have uh, fun working up the funkiness of that uh, kind of uh, rhythm as they go. Uh, mm -hmm. This is all held together by very uh, sharp and tidy drum work by Nichols, uh, uh, or Nicholas, rather, I should say. Uh, if you listen to... Uh, the tight hi-hat work and uh, snare things that he does uh, throughout the album. Uh, it's kind of essential for changing up the feels that are constantly flowing uh, on this recording. Uh, next, we've got uh, track five, Bachata Rosa. Uh, here we've got uh, Ramon uh, Vasquez on bass uh, as a guest on this tune. Uh, Juan Luis Guerra uh, is the uh, composer. And uh, I want to note that he to... has he, he the bass has a really good sound on this particular track. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's well recorded. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's prominent on here. Uh, a two-second recording clip starts this one out of field music uh, into high repeated notes on the bass. Uh, Jacobo brings in a sunny melody that has some uh, breakups of the rhythm before a steady groove is established over tight cymbal work from Nicholas. Uh, there's a repeated syncopated chord transition into a Mendez bass solo. Or actually, this is uh, not Mendez here, this is uh, Vasquez. Uh, it's rhythmic with lots of space uh, between the phrases, uh, some containing some impressive speedy uh, repeated notes uh, on the bass, uh, really working up uh, some technique here. Jacobo rings out uh, some accented chords on top, and then gets an impressive solo with uh, flowing lines uh, that skillfully accented rhythmic figures come out of uh, over the bass and drum groove. Uh, and then they give us another round of the pretty melody to close it out. Hmm. Track six, Caña Brava, uh, composer is Tonio Abreu. Uh, this one is a Another very short two-second clip at the beginning. Yeah, they're almost disappearing. I think the, the track after this doesn't even have a field recording, and then they bring yeah. it back at the end. Yeah. So uh, they're slowly disappearing. Disappearing, yeah. yeah. Jacobo starts out with some rubato, but 
uh, rhythmic chords with a top note melody on, on top of the chord so you can kind of pick out uh, the melody uh, that's coming through. Uh, the bass joins in and then drums and then a really cool syncopated groove is set. Uh, there's some fun interplay between higher piano melody lines and bass and left hand lines. It's hard to really keep track of the meter here. Sometimes the lines seem to be in a six beat pattern but it changes up. Uh, the rhythm breaks up uh, and Hakobo has a solo that's kind of free feeling until another new groove settles but it constantly evolves along with his rhythmic ideas which get very intense here uh, it seems to take on another 12-8 kind of groove in the piano chords uh, the bass forms uh, under that and uh, Nicholas gets some drum play there too they work the groove hard uh, as the drums return to a steady beat with Jacobo hammering these rhythmic chords. Once again, uh, the groove changes up, but it keeps this 12-beat kind of idea uh, until the final play of the earlier syncopated groove ends it. Uh, so constant rhythmic change is the name of the tune here. Uh, very interesting. See, but to me, to me too, the, the um, production is changing at about this point, or from track five, it kind of um, it sounds a little less processed, and I'm liking it more at this point. Mm. So this, this album really grew on me. I'll talk about it at the end. Track seven, Bate. Uh, this one, we get some extra percussion added here from Magic Mejia and Ooh. Felix Garcia on percussion. I wonder if his mom called him Magic. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> hey, magic. Imagine that. Interesting, anyway. Um, mm. There's another snippet of an intro recording. Uh, I think, and we're going to hear this later, I think this must be a type of a friction drum. Like, uh, you know, we hear in Brazilian music, uh, what do they call it? Uh, cuica? That, you know, the stick through yeah. the... The drum uh, that gets that kind of pitch, you can change the pitch. That, oh, 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 yeah, of sound. I don't know what it's called, um, yeah, but, but I do know the sound. Different yeah. cultures around the world have these kind of drums, uh, and I, that's what it sounds like here to me, but it's a kind of a deeper toned instrument. Uh, anyway, the, the tune itself the, starts out with bass alone in a groove pattern. Uh, piano and then drums join in on it. Uh, they play around with the theme. First, it gets a heavy straight groove, and then Hakobo uh, syncopates it over Nicholas's tight hi hat. Then we get a percussion interlude uh, with that uh, kind of drum uh, pitches thing here. I think it's a, a friction drum kind of thing. Hakobo mm. uh, is up for a solo next over a really driving bass groove. Dizzying runs, syncopated chords, rolling high figures, and pounding out intense left hand. Uh, it's a really intense uh, piano solo here. It modulates for a bit and settles back. It does that again as he comes out of it. Uh, kind of a lift and a setback. Uh, a high, tight bass pattern comes in then and sets a groove for some tight drum soloing. Uh, emphasizing the snare work, and they ended up with a short syncopated exposition of the melody uh, here. So we get some extra percussion to the mix. Come to track eight, Quiskeya is the name of the tune. The vocal field recording is back. Yeah, Felix Garcia on percussion. It's a tune by Rafael Hernandez. Uh, the vocal recording uh, starts this one. Uh, then uh, Jacobo and Mendez started out with a repeating eight-note uh, left hand piano and bass line with some chords on top uh, percussion S sounds like congas and an some other uh, stick work 
uh, percussion instruments are added on top of that. Uh, there are a couple pauses in the groove uh, into a melodic section on bass by Mendez. Uh, Hakobo takes over with a solo uh, over this really complex groove. There's so much going on here. Uh, he keeps it very sol uh, very melodic in the solo, though, uh, but he does amazing things uh, working with the rhythm. Uh, they repeat the 8-beat bass pattern section and then the bass melody again as well. And then it gets into a groove out over the funky bass patterns and Hakobo's high-register syncopated chords uh, that fade out in the mix as the bass plays on prominently uh, for a while and then the bass stops and it ends with some final percussion uh, that just sort of comes to an end there uh, and that's it so I thought it's a very exciting recording uh, making you know contemporary jazz infused with traditional Dominican type rhythms there's so much going on rhythmically all the time it's kind of dizzying in a way but Hakobuk uh, seems to be able to surf these kind of rhythmic changes and use them to drive his inspiration in his soloing. Uh, so uh, you have to be really familiar with all these grooves and his um, native sort of ethnic rhythms uh, to be able to, you know, create ideas over that, I think. Uh, I think his solos are inspired and infectious, but sometimes the busyness of all the grooves wears me out a little bit yeah. because they're constantly changing. Uh, nevertheless, I found it kind of exciting and a fun listen. Yeah, I like that quality, the the changing rhythms. It, it, that excites me. And mm. uh, and tiring it may be, but still, I, I find it like it gives me like a real a bit of a thrill. This album really uh, grew on me as it went on um because I think the after track from track 5 on the the uh production changed. It kind of got a little less sort of thick uh, with the, yeah. the studio sound and it got so it got more human as a result. Um so the first tracks, although I liked track three a lot, The Lotus, I think that came mm. across really really well. The first two tracks I was like, oh man, this is the is the production going to be all like this? Uh, if it was, I, I, I probably wouldn't have liked this a lot. Mm, that's interesting. I'm going to have to listen to it again. I think it, it was probably recorded at different times, I wonder. Uh, possible, or they yeah. just changed things. Yeah. Because I've heard records do that before. Sure. Um, yeah, it sounded less processed in the second half of the album, and the bass sounded more alive, especially from track five on. So, yeah, I liked this album. I, I certainly liked all of the music and all of the playing. Mm. Um, just a little bit you know uneven production that's that's the only my only problem i want to recommend if if any of the band members are listening uh just keep uh, keep a light hand on the production there you know in the studio <laughs> or record yourselves live i think this will sound great yeah it's um it's very exciting and um what I, it seems like Huckleball gets like i said when things get complicated he gets more inventive uh yeah. even and he really uh he pulls out all these rhythmic nuances, uh, but then you know, he can really rip through some uh, interesting uh, harmonic kind of ideas, too, over a very complicated uh, shifting rhythmic bass, too. So, uh, you know, yeah, I found it uh, really interesting. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll check out what he's doing next. Yeah, let's, let's, keep, let's keep an ear on him and see uh, what he comes up with next. Yeah. Uh, what do we got uh, for next week? Any hints? Uh, I, I have. I don't know. I, I haven't decided yet. Okay. I don't. I don't want to say because I might not choose the Me things either. I was talking to you about before. So. All right. But yeah. if you'd like to know, listeners, it'll be great you, though. I can tell you that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, not long after uh, 
this episode gets released, I'll definitely have the playlist up because we decide right away. So you can check that out on Deezer or on our Facebook page if you want to see the music for next week and get a jump on listening. Uh, we'll get that all worked out. Uh, oh, you put it on the Facebook page? Not yeah, I put it on the Facebook page okay. to get our oh, posts cool. up too. So uh, you can check it out there as well. Send, write some comments on Facebook, listeners. Yeah. So there you have it, episode 59 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. So please uh, do like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Uh, send us a message, uh, comments, uh, Adult Music Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again, as always, to uh, Fast Signs of Staten Island for our new logo, uh, eye-catching neon on that uh brick wall that hints of seedy things not to be found in our podcast because it's all about serious music here and uh, we thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week for episode 60 